Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Hello and welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bolm. This is episode 95. And if it is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week is Jordan Buckley of Every Time I Die. He's an incredible artist. We uh, talk about both things. Uh, but I want to let you know, just uh, just ahead of this interview, that uh, if you go to jordanbuckley.xyz, there is a poster he made for Buffalo, and 100% of the profits go to feedbuffalo.org. From the website, it reads, Feed Buffalo is in solidarity with all the families who have been victimized as a result of the horrific, tragic mass shooting that took place. We are concerned with healing and understand that ongoing healthy food access and coordinated community efforts is key. You could read more about them and uh, find out more about Jordan's print. Um, Go to jordanbuckley.xyz and feedbuffalo.org. Also, just want to let you know that if you're interested in a bonus episode with Jordan, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon where Jordan answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. Uh, This is a longer episode. Um, Jordan's a talker, but he's a fun talker. So there's a lot that we go into here. I think it's about two hours. Uh, Strap in. I really appreciate you being here. And uh, again, if this is your first time here, uh, if you wouldn't mind subscribing to the show on uh, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Amazon, wherever it is you're listening to this, uh, it would mean a whole lot to me and it helps the show so much. Um, also printed up some first ever podcast merch and, uh, I have a new poetry zine. You can get both of those over at secretvoice.bigcartel.com. Just some more ways to help support the show and keep things moving. 
I'd probably be foolish not to mention that uh, I leave for Europe tomorrow. Uh, it's our first shows happening overseas since the pandemic. Uh, we're going over there to play Hellfest in France. Uh, we're going to be playing Outbreak Fest in Manchester. Uh, we headline on Sunday uh, with our buddies in Deaf Heaven. Uh, I believe the whole weekend is sold out. Then we're going to be doing some headlining shows. The first few are with our friends in Scowl. Uh, we're going to be playing with them in uh, Milton Keynes at uh, the Crawford Arms. We're going to be playing in Cardiff. Uh, we're going to be playing in Brighton at Chalk. Uh, and then uh, we're going to be heading on over to Eindhoven. Uh, that's not with Scowl. Um, then Moonster, we're going to be playing in, at uh, the Festival Vainstream. Then uh, we play Stuttgart with Thrice. Uh, we play uh, near Rome, I believe, uh, in Italy with, uh, with Thrice. And then that's it. Then we come home. It's a short little jaunt over there, and I hope to see you there. Check out toucheamore.com for more details, ticket links, etc. Uh, all right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Jordan Buckley. What's up, Jordan? It's nice to see Hi. you. How are you? Hello. Uh, it's great to be here again. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Um, as, <laughs> that as first three-minute podcast, I liked it. It was fun. It was fun. I'm really glad to be a returning guest. <laughs> um, we're, yeah, we were just saying, uh, it was. I got to see you in Arizona last month. It was like right at the start of the tour, which was really nice. It's always. Ex- I'm sure you've dealt with this throughout your entire life on touring, but it's always kind of cool when you get to a city and all of a sudden you get a text from someone that you didn't expect to get a text from saying, hey, uh, I'm thinking about coming out tonight, where you're like, I didn't even know this person lived in Arizona. So right. that was, Yo, I'm that a was desert a- daddy. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been in Arizona at this point? Um, 2017, uh, moved out here because uh, my kids got a lot of family out here, and it was either that or Buffalo. And uh, I love Buffalo, but I wanted to 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 give Arizona a try. And then um, me and his mom split up probably kind of year or two after that. But I just love being out here so much. So I just got a different place and I stayed and I love the sun and I love my son. And so it's it really works out well. I, I didn't think I would love it as much as I did. But yeah, dude, I'm a desert daddy. I'm, I'm going to be just crispy fried like it's it i'm i'm leaning into it heavily i'm just gonna do peyote all day long and just kind of go into the mountains and you might see me in like four days yeah i feel like it takes a human with a certain stamina to to be able to connect with that level of ferocious heat and humidity it is, but the nature aspect of it is so amazing. I live like 90 miles from Sedona, which is, I don't know if you ever heard of it or been there. It's yeah. like Mars. It's so freaking cool. You like, there's, it's, it's an energy vortex. There's places in Sedona where marbles roll up straight up. How cool is that? Like, Whoa. it's, it's like, it's, it's a, it, it's a doorway to another dimension for real. It's crazy. It's so awesome. And when you go, when you drive in the first time, like the mountains are red, it looks like total recall. It's, it's so awesome. So the, the, yeah, I, I feel like I live inside of a painting. It's just so beautiful out here. Um, I, I, I'm, I fell in love and I, I'll be here until, uh, plus there's kind of like, you know, there's kind of like a, a desert rock vibe to, 
uh, being a musician anyway, where you can kind of, uh, it's a nice solitude. I, I live in a place where you can be like at a hardcore show in like 15 minutes, or you could feel like you're, you know, the only person on the planet, you know, in 15 minutes. So it's really, really cool. It's what nice. you have on your, yeah, what you have on your side is that because you are in a place where if you're from California or going to California, which every tour does, it's going to hit Arizona. So like you get right? just as many shows that would happen in Los Angeles in Arizona because everybody's got to find a way in and out of there. Uh, yeah, you you and you nailed it. And it's either and this one's a good market too. It's not like you know, it's not like Albuquerque where you're like, eh, I right. guess we're gonna go to Albuquerque. <laughs> No offense yeah, exactly. to Albuquerque, but yeah, yeah, but no, yeah. Phoenix is great. You got you got the Nile, you got um, you got the Marquee Theater, you got the Van Buren. You guys played Rebel Lounge, which is yeah. amazing. So yeah. uh, plus, like a lot of great, you know, the Bled is from Tucson, and and a lot of good like makes a lot of good bands. Because we're a band from Los Angeles, when we have like on our website, we have every show we've ever played documented, like in an archive, and that's cool. I genuinely think that we have probably played Arizona as many times, if not more times than Southern California, just because the amount of going in and out of there, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's, it really is like, uh, you're, you're limited kind of when you do a tour of like, there's when you're crossing from the Midwest to the West coast, you know, you can either do Vegas route, you know, like I said, Albuquerque, you can do the, you can do the Arizona route. Plus you can do, you can do Phoenix or you can do Tucson. You're probably not going to do the same on the same tour. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. And then it is weird to like go to venues, like my local venues are like the ones that, you know, we would play so many times. Like, I kind of feel like I go to a show and it's like, I'm I'm walking backstage and it's like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not actually playing tonight. This is not, I'm, I am a, uh, I, I am just a spectator. It's great though. It's, it's, I love it. You guys had a great show too. Plus like, like I said, it's not even like a punishment, like, Oh, we got to play Arizona. It's, it's, you know, you, people look forward to it because of uh, just all the cool shit to do around here. No, definitely. And, and it's interesting too, that there is such a different, like, it feels like two completely different states almost between a show in Phoenix and a f- show in Tucson, you know, cause you got mm-hmm. like kind of the college, the more college kind of kids that come out to the Tucson show. And then, and then Phoenix has like, you know, people that you could tell have been there their whole lives. Dude, I went to, well, there's just to get back to just the, the, the natural aspect of it. Dude, I saw like a coyote yesterday when I was on a jog, you can go people, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm most fascinated. You can see scorpions with a black light at night. So like you can go out with a black light and find they glow in the dark. How cool is that? I had and no then, idea. Wow, dude. And so uh, where I am, where I live, there like it's one of those things where like the mailbox is at the end of the street. Right. And the one time I was going to get the mail. And I was, and (laughs) you have to go at night because it's so hot that the thing's metal (laughs) and you like burn your hands. Like, do you, do you, do you ever watch Arrested Development? Sure. Uh, When the, the, they came back and they did the Netflix season, like the first episode, he goes to Arizona and he gets out of the airport and he goes to get in the cab and burns his hand on the, (laughs) on the handle and just turns around. And I'm like that. Yep. That is the one. That is one. So one time I was going down to get the mail and I had to go at night. So I didn't burn myself. And on the way back, dude, I swear to you, it was a wolf. Okay. It was a wolf. 
and he was crossing the street and we made eye contact and I was like, oh, okay, you know, Mad Max, I am reduced to my, my earliest survival instincts. (laughs) And so I look and there's a car and I'm like, okay, if this wolf attacks me, I'm going to get on the car because it was one of those like smooth, it wasn't boxy. So I was like, well, he if he tries to get me, he's not going to be able to get me on this car. So once you kind of find out how you're not going to die, you kind of calm down a little bit. But then we we like, we like kind of had a moment because we're both desert daddies and we <laughs> locked eyes and he was just like, yo, I'm just trying to go home. And I was like, yo, me too. We said this to each other with our <laughs> eyes. And then... He kept going, and then, like, right after him was, like, a mom, and then right after her was, like, a little one. And, like, it was cool because he was like, hey, thanks for for letting me hang out in your neighborhood. Yeah. Wow. And that's the kind of thing that you can't get in in, in many other places. I lived in Buffalo until I was, like, 26, and then I did 10 years in California. And this is the only time I've ever telepathically talked to a wolf while getting my mail. You know, you can't – you can't – you can do that with deer in Buffalo, but right, but not right, wolves. right, right. Yeah. Well, it sounds and like you there's found a, your spot. by the way, there's like a 95% chance it was a coyote, but I'm <laughs> I'm going with wolf. I'm sticking with wolf. It's a better story. It is a better story. It does make it a better story. Um yeah. uh, and the last thing I'm gonna talk about with uh with Arizona, because I'm sure we could just end up rambling about that state all day, is yeah. um if I had to pick a favorite spot though, I'm gonna go Flagstaff. Like Flagstaff yeah. is such an interesting place where it's like you get mm-hmm. different climates. It's again very beautiful near the Grand Canyon, all of that. Um, have you spent much time up there? Um, not as much as I'd like, but I know exactly what you mean because one time we were on tour, and this was before I lived here, and the show got canceled because there was like one way in, and it was sn- and it was a snowstorm. Like it actually right. like there's parts that get so you know in the mountains, and so yeah, you get it all. And we actually had to cancel. Uh, well, the band we were with canceled because their bus couldn't like make this drive. Oh fuck, yeah. And there was like only one, but no, we we've only played Flagstaff once. That's um, surprising and yeah, to me. It, I wow. know, I know. It was you know your C market tour. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This is surprising. this is industry talk for the listeners. C markets mean. <laughs> <laughs> that your city right. sucks. No, it means that it's just it's just there's not as many options and big venues and population and stuff like that. Right. And then also routing too. Like that might mm-hmm. play a the, role into why you go to certain places. A ter- is is what's the other word for a tertiary? Oh, is, it's true. a tertiary. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that I know that because one time we were on tour with Guar and we did uh like uh it was A markets. And then we got asked to do like the part two, which with we couldn't do it, but they wanted to call it the tertiary tornado tour. And that <laughs> it, like, do you ever hear something and it's just, it sticks with you for the rest of your life. And yes. you're just like, yeah. So now whenever I hear Flagstaff, I think tertiary tornado. It's incredible. Did, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I remember we toured with you guys in Australia not too far after, I think, your guys' tour with Guar. And I remember Andy relaying some of the gnarliest stories of all time, just about how difficult it is to be the band opening for Guar. Yeah, that, that oh my God. And that, that, leads, that leads to why I originally hate Albuquerque uh, is because uh, on my 30th birthday, um, we played Albuquerque and it... I don't know, man. It's just like one of those cities where 
I, I, I love the, the nature of it too. But as far as like shows go, we just never clicked there. It's kind of like Germany where you're just like, why don't they like us? They like everyone else. Why don't they like us? And Albuquerque is the same way. It was just like, why can't we have a good show here? Why? And so on our yeah. 30th birthday, Keith was like, uh, hey, it's Jordan's 30th birthday. And I got booed and spit at. <laughs> Like really, for real. But but it was one of those tours where, you know, f- you know, 30 shows, five of them are awful. You know, five of them are absolutely insane and then like the rest are great, you know? You just got to yeah. be grateful for I love those kinds of tours. I love being able to say that the kid that was bored as hell when we started because he just wanted to see who was playing after us you know by the end of the show was a fan that's 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 such an accomplishment to me that's a great point and that's a great outlook to have because those those kind of tours can really wear on you and they can start to feel very long if you're having multiple bad nights in a row right right yeah yeah you just you gotta if it was there's not many tours where it was just only bad like you know like I said, you get a, you get your you get them sprinkled in here. Yeah. Um, I think uh, even even when we did Ozfest, one show was good. San Francisco was amazing on Ozfest 2004. <laughs> so I can't even say Ozfest was all all bad shows. But at least uh, I I mean I'm I'm just I'm just gonna imagine here at least with something like Ozfest, you are at least insulated with so many other people potentially having the exact same sp- experience as you that it sort of feels like you're all in it together. I wish I could say that, but that was quite <laughs> literally the opposite. It it. If anything, it like it it uh, ignited this weird comp- competitive nature in other bands that I kind of thought wasn't there, you know, because uh. we were the first. I, I don't know if 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 you remember this or at all, or if this rings a bell, but before two thousand and four, Ozfest was just very radio new metal. Totally. Um, and then 2004, they got like 10 hardcore bands, and we were one of them. It was like us, Bleeding Through, Throwdown, Unearth, uh, Atreyu. Um, our stage, oh my God, dude, our stage was incredible because Slipknot didn't want to do the indoor arena thing. They they headlined the second stage parking lot stage at like three o'clock every day. And wow. so before th- before them was Lamb of God and before them was Hate Breed. And then, you know, you have the rotating like 10 bands. And so it was like 10 hardcore bands. It just felt amazing. But it was also like, you could tell some of the bands, it was like their first taste of like, of a big rock stardom you know what i mean they were totally. filming like they were filming an mtv show called battle for Ozfest on the tour where like it was like boot camp and if a if a kid won his band got to like play the next year um and so it 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 unfortunately i do have too many memories of like it getting like way too competitive like oh you guys sold four shirts today well we sold 
twelve because like right. they were like I, like yeah. you you had to price match your uh, Ozzy. So like t shirts had to be like fifty dollars. And like I'm not even joking, dude. Like three t shirt sales was like a good day for Etid on on this. But like there were bands that could crack twenty, and then they were like king shit. Like oh, wow. the, the MTV's probably just really here for us. They're they're just doing this show as like a way to like film us um but it was a great time man i got to i got to i got to meet a lot i got a lot of friends long-term friends got a lot of bad tattoos i got a lot of great stories i will decline this um (laughs) a lot of great stories from that tour a lot of great friends from that tour and uh if anything it was just it it just added to the resiliency of um it made it easier to get spit at 10 years later in albuquerque (laughs) (laughs) I like that kind of stuff though. I really yeah. do, man. I like like we people always kind of like raise their eyebrows. They're like, "What? You're going to Europe with My Chemical Romance? What is what?" You know, right. so it, we were always the band that just said yes to everything. So, uh I know you're obviously from Buffalo. Your your band is very Buffalo Pride. And um the first question I usually ask musicians is, "Do you remember when you were growing up the first time connecting with music? Uh like something that excited you that maybe was um, not quite something that maybe your parents were playing, but something that you found on your own that like felt like it was yours. Yeah, like my first hardcore show was probably about fourteen. What was uh, like? Did you have a first concert? Yeah, like definitely. that. That was yeah. Like what, obviously, it was probably wasn't a hardcore show, right? It wasn't a hardcore show. No. It was like a, it was it was Nine Inch Nails, David Bowie. But okay, but, uh, yeah, wow. not bad, not bad. Not bad. Um, wow. But, but my first hardcore show, funny enough, was with a Buffalo band. Uh, it was uh, Buried Alive. Um, they played yes. first opening for like VOD, Scarhead and Candyria. Yes. Oh, um, my God. I love Buried Alive. Yeah. What was, yeah so what, was, what was the first hardcore show? My first hardcore show was probably, it, it was Integrity. Um, there was a Buffalo Bane, a Bane, a Bane from Buffalo. So it was oh, wow. Integrity, Buffalo Bane, Despair. H100s and MK Ultra, I think, at this place uh, called Kenzie's in Lockport, which is actually like, honestly, like probably about a half hour outside of Buffalo. But um, it, they used to just have hardcore shows like every Sunday, like no matter what. It was awesome. Yeah. And But this one, uh, I, it was, there was just something different about it. It was just, you know, you got there, you felt, and you know, you don't want to be the cliche, like, yeah, I felt like I belonged finally, but yeah. you kind of did, you know, like I, I really, it felt so welcoming and warm and how did and you end up there? fun. Uh, I just slowly kind of, well, let's see. First concert was weird. Al actually, yeah well no actually okay is because i was talking about this on i did the rigs of dad podcast last week are we am i allowed to talk about other podcasts on this podcast or is it you can't competition i'm sure i know you've opened yourself up to i want to do podcasts so with that you end up getting some crossover (laughs) we end up talking about probably some of the same stuff so it's okay Okay. yeah it's like when uh, steve urkel was on full house for that one episode uh it's (laughs) and i remember like that so so my go-to answer has always been weird al but i think is is stand-up comedy a concert to consider that a concert um you know what let's let it play 
Let's let it play. Oh, I'm just sure. wondering because I saw Seinfeld two weeks before that at the same exact place, and it was a theater in the round, Medley Fair, uh, North Tonawanda, home of Andy Williams. And so now I just I, I just want to be completely accurate when I say my first concert. So my first concert was either Jerry Seinfeld or Weird Al. You have to take your pick. That's um, incredible. Have you guys ever played in the round? I don't. Think I was so. thinking about. I don't dude, think so. How how weird would that be? It's you, like, the, and saying? it spins and oh, it still turns. And like the crowd is just complete. It's a circle. And so the, cool. the, the stage just kind of slowly turns so that like everybody gets some, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you, is that place still there? I don't think so. But, uh, you know, the venues like that still exist. And yeah. I just always I, I was always fascinated or like, you know, like a big Metallica will, I think on one of their tours, they like, they made they their stage that way where instead yeah. of like a stage at that, at one end, it was like them in the middle spinning around. Right. <laughs> um, right. Anyway, uh, back to hard, back to hardcore. I got, I got sidetracked because uh, I just well, wanted I like- to be completely accurate. I'm so sorry. I don't want to, I don't want to spread any misinformation. I don't want people out there saying that I went to Weird Al first when I went to H100s first and in integrity. What, what, uh, <laughs> what year was that Weird Al? Was that like, what, that what was record, when I was what, 12. What was that? What record that was, was it? Was it that was, r- no. No, that was the, uh, the Nirvana one because I remember he, he, he he did a, a a costume change, uh, and he did he dressed up like Kurt Cobain for a song. Um, so what was that? That was like smells like t- smells like smells Nirvana like was the song. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, and the and the album cover was him as like the kid underwater, and I yep. think it was like instead of a dollar, it was hooked it, to like to a, a hot donut? dog, a donut. Yeah, yeah, donut, a donut. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so I think, okay, so the order would be Jerry Seinfeld. And then I was like, well, that's that, you know, it, it does, it didn't give me the same warm feeling that a hardcore show did, but it was still, it, it, I had a great time nonetheless. And then there was Weird Al and that also great time, but I never said to myself, oh, I want to get up there and change costumes every, every song. Uh, sure. And then there was, there was Green Day, then there was Pink Floyd and then, um, and then, yeah. And then. Uh, Keith St- was in a like a, a a band, and I went to see them, and that was at a hardcore show, and so that was like my first taste of hardcore. And so when I went to that, and that was at like a VFW hall, and that kind of like was like, oh okay, okay, now we're on to something, we're getting there, you know. Uh, and then I think the next time I went was was to see Integrity, and it was just. It was amazing. It was absolutely freaking amazing in a little bar. I mean, when you're 14, it feels like you're there with a thousand people, but it was probably just like 300. Totally. Um, but it was absolutely amazing. And Andy's wrestling partner, uh, the Blade, uh, his dad drove us, <laughs> so wow. uh, and picked us up. So uh, I, I just remember, like you know, when you're you just want everything. You want all. All the literature, you want all the seven inches, you want to just go home with like, with that feeling, you want to take everything that you had that day and bring it home and like, tell everyone, you know, and I remember just not being able to 
kind of portray exactly how amazing it felt to like my friends or, you know, even my, like my mom or dad, you know, they're just like, Oh, that's great. You had a good time. Oh, that's great. Okay. You got school tomorrow. Go to bed. Uh, and, and I was just like, no, you don't get it. Like, you don't get it. Yeah. It's the fountain of youth. You've been reborn. No. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It, I definitely knew. I definitely knew that uh, I had found the the path that I was going to be on. Did um, with you and actually, I don't know. Are you the younger brother? Yeah. Okay. So with you and and Keith being so close in age, um, were you sharing what you discovered musically with one another, or were you? Did you both kind of have your own paths that you were both really into? Eh. Uh, no, I remember. No, I mean, I was always like the annoying little brother that like yeah. wasn't allowed to hang out with the older brother. So I remember that like after his band played, I had to leave. <laughs> I couldn't stay for the rest of the show because yeah, I yeah, wasn't yeah. allowed to hang out with him and his friends. So I got to watch his <laughs> band and then I got to leave. And then so that's when I started finding my own rides. That's when I started asking the Blades dad to drive me everywhere. No, also, uh, by the way, I didn't re- <clears throat> I didn't realize that uh, that the Andy's wrestling partner was someone that you guys have known that long i, I yeah. figured it was like someone that he met through wrestling that's really cool that it's someone that no, you guys all that's, came up with. that is that is such like a small world too because they didn't know each other at all you know growing up like they didn't know each other in the hardcore scene um but jesse um went away to like actually trained for wrestling like he took it seriously he was doing like backyard wrestling it was my high school had a backyard wrestling foundation or federation (laughs) whatever the hell it's called uh called hcw hardcore wrestling and it was on trampolines in people's backyards and 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 and, uh, or they would like rent out like a roller rink um and like made these home videos like this was when you had to have the camera like on your shoulder. And I remember there was one match in my friend Jesse's backyard that, that believe it or not, it left the ring and it it went all the way to the Creek. (laughs) They were were wrestling in the Creek and like drowning each other in water. And it was so cool to see Jesse then go from that to, I think he might've even been on like one of those MTV shows, like a making the wrestler show. Um, we went to like professional school in Florida and we are in Ohio and we stayed in touch. And, uh, then 2015, I think it was when Andy was like, all right, I got a, I need a side gig. Uh, and I'm really want to take the wrestling seriously. And, and he just kind of linked up with Jesse and it was just like, Oh, small world. This is the dude wow. that we used to go and blow up pipe bombs in the woods when right. we were you know, kids. And now he's like beating the hell out of people with Andy on live television every Wednesday night. That's so cool. It's so cool. It's yeah. so cool seeing Andy getting to have that opportunity. It makes me so happy. I um, know. I know. I love it so much. I like it. There's been times where uh, I can't watch. Like, be, like if you ever watch the Mick Foley documentary where like his, he, he, brought his kids to a match one time and it was just like the most traumatic thing ever because their dad is like getting thrown from like a 40 foot steel cage and right. i there's t- there's times where like andy will it'll he'll be getting he'll be getting whooped and i'll just i'll have to like cover my eyes i can't watch oh man or, well because yeah, they, they t- dude and they i mean knowing what i know because of him and his stories like man these guys really really put their lives on the line for this and it's amazing so i'm i don't have the 
the ability to sit back and just go, oh, that's fake. Like I'm watching it going like, no, Andy, I've seen, I've seen the injuries. I've seen it. It's real. Um, Totally. So it makes it, it makes it more uh, exciting, I guess. I understand. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's plus I, plus he tells me, plus he tells me who's going to win. So I bet on it every (laughs) night and I, I, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by death wish Inc. For over 20 years, Deathwish has been the go-to label for emerging punk and hardcore. That continues today with recent releases from scene staples and promising newcomers such as Modern Life is War, Greek Death, Chastity, Converge, Frail Body, and more. Get 10% off all Deathwish music and merch in their store right now using the link deathwishinc.com slash the first ever, which automatically applies the discount and filters the site for all items included. Again, that is 10% off all Deathwish releases and merch at deathwishinc.com slash the first ever. If you haven't picked up the Modern Life is War Tribulation Work Song 7 Inches, Volume 1 through 3, they're available right now. And the third one features this cover of I Want to Be Your Dog. So, if you know, you're 14, you're discovering hardcore, you're, you're doing all that. So when did you start playing guitar? And was guitar your first instrument? Yeah, my dad had guitars around, sitting around the house, laying around the house all the time. And we had a friend, uh, my brother's friend, Mike Leahy, knew guitar. And so he was just kind of like two years older and knew how to play guitar. So he would come over and he would play like riffs. And there was just nothing cooler than watching like he could pick up a guitar and play a song that i knew like how cool is that like right like he could play like a magic. rage against the machine yeah, yeah. exactly like yeah. what did you do you just made rage against the machine come out of that guitar well, how did you do that <laughs> and then so i would i my okay so freedom by rage against the machine is in d which is what like 99.9 percent of Eated's stuff uh is in and so i just always remember having to remember to uh, tune my dad's guitars back to E after I would tune them down so I could play Freedom. I got a guitar right here. I'll do it right now. Dude. Uh, and so, yeah, there were guitars around the house all the time, and I picked them up. And, um, you know, when you're kind of into – because I wasn't just straight hardcore. I was, like, you know, 13 at the time. So I wasn't just, like, okay, posers, I want right. – uh, it's strife – and it's integrity and it's snapcase or nothing. Uh, so, you know, I still did. I, I love Green Day and I love Nirvana. And those were the bands that made me kind of realize that you didn't have to be uh, excel in your field in order to be successful. You know, like three power chord songs. Holy cow. I think I could do that, you know. And if they can do that, that means I'm like I'm like one step away from Green Day. <laughs> all i have to do is just learn when i come around and uh i i got the tab book for dookie and i got the tab book for media play did you guys have media play do you remember that store it was oh, like i don't think that was out here it was like the the first incarnation of like a best buy where you oh, could go okay. and and movies and music and everything and they had a a, a section for tab books and i got uh Self-titled Rage Against the Machine. I got Nirvana, uh, Nevermind, and uh, Dookie. And I there was a point in my life where I could play 
all three of those albums from beginning to end. And that was another thing, too, is that even Tom Morello's stuff, you know, his leads weren't like Van Halen leads. So, like, I'm, like, 13, kind of self-teaching myself how to do leads, too. So I really, it really gave me the confidence to be like, you know, I know I made a joke about it, like, like three minutes ago but you seriously are like okay well now all i need is the band like i can do what they could do now i just need the band right wow that's interesting i almost wonder if if specifically with tom morello too if if it becomes like a kit situation because you're like well yeah this is how you play it but i also need now a a whammy pedal i need a i need this right that like was was that uh did that become sort of like a building block for you to like have to figure out how to do pedals how to do things with pedals no, no, I, I've actually only recently become a pedal guy and it's strictly for, it was strictly just because of how I know myself. I'm very self-aware and I know that once I get into pedals, I won't be able to stop. When you get into something that actually has no ending, um, I will, uh, exploit that and, and, and confirm it. And so I knew that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I knew that, Respect um, now. <laughs> coffee that was that was the uh that was the strongest burp the show has had yet congratulations jordan i you know i know it's i feel i feel like a loser saying that uh, it's early here because it's noon but i was i was i was up late recording riffs so i i woke up a little late um okay what were we talking about? oh pedals yeah so was, yeah. i knew i knew i just knew that once i started getting into it i would not be able to stop so yeah. i kind of just wanted to prolong that as much as possible you know yeah. Um, because then there's also like, it, it's, it's not like the kind of thing you really want to do on tour. You don't want to just like show up one day and be like, Hey, I'm just going to rearrange my pedal board, you know? So when people were kind of going to music stores, when I'd be on tour with bands that would be like pedal guys. Uh, so the pedal thing, yeah, I was always like, I know I'm going to get there. I know that's going to be me. I'll just save it for my desert daddy days, you know. Right now, sure. I'll just be, I'll just be, uh, tube screamer, tuner, noise suppressor, Marshall eight hundred head that I got from Scott Sprig of Buried Alive, who got it from John Salemi of Snapcase, who got it from Sick of It All. So I still play that head. Um, no way. I, I, yeah, it's Tom that far. I know Scott. I've got I've, I've known Scott for a really long time. I've seen him in ages, but yeah, he used to live in Orange County for a while. So I remember that. Yeah, but, yeah. But and he oh my god, dude. And speaking full circle, he's you know, buried alive. Uh we played with them in December and yeah. he he's great. He's great. He sounds he sounded amazing. I loved it. I love Buried Alive as, as much as you do, if not more so. Those guys we wouldn't have um really even got a start at all if it wasn't for buried alive because andy used to do merch for them he was kind of their masher like do you remember this this phase where bands like it was kind of the merch guy's job to mosh like he would have to start the pit to get people and so, interested. Yeah, yeah yes yeah. yes and so that was andy's job on tour with buried alive he would sell merch and he was the guy that that had to start the pit every night and uh wow he they were they were staying at uh, in New Jersey at the drummer of Nora's house, and so the singer of Nora is Carl, who owns who owned Ferret Music at the time, yeah. and so Andy or Scott or somebody got Carl the demo, and I I I can distinctly remember 
coming home and having, because my parents' phone number was on the demo. And so I came home one day from like, I don't know, some from school and Carl Ferret was on my answering machine saying that he wanted to talk and, and maybe put out something for us. And I remember jumping for joy. I thought I had, I thought that was it. We made it. We made it. That's Carl awesome. Ferret likes our demo. Yeah. What up, Carl? I <laughs> um, still talk to him. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. He's, is he doing all right? Yeah. Yeah. I saw him at Furnace Fest. His kid is, uh, you know, and then that's another cool thing about, you know, being involved in this for so long is that you, he was, it's like, who's this dude Carl's with? And then it's like, oh, that's his gigantic 17 year old like son. That, son. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I haven't seen since, you know, they were a foot tall. Uh, um, so was, uh, so you start playing guitar, you're getting good at guitar, you're learning your favorite riffs, you're learning your favorite songs. So like, what was the first band you played? Was It wasn't Every Time I oh, Die, was it? Oh, no, it was X Pride X. Because, you know, when when I was 15, I was straight edge. And so uh, I was in a band with, okay, check this story out now. Uh, if you, Jimmy Fallon's Animal Guy, the guy that comes in and fucks with like alligators and crocodiles and like snakes uh-huh. and spiders and stuff, sang for X Pride X. So if you know who I'm talking about, if you've ever watched Jimmy Fallon and you've seen, and, and it's a great bit, and I don't even know if it's a bit, but Jimmy Fallon pretends to hate him, but I don't know if it's, if it's real or not because Jeff is always fucking with him, like always like putting spiders on his head and, and like, you know, snakes down yeah. his pants and stuff like that. And so, and so it's funny because I, it got to the point, you're like, dude, that's, he's, his business expanded. He's got like rhinoceroses and shit. And so, uh, so I was in a band with Jeff, the animal guy and a couple, uh, other kids from this suburb that we grew up in. And I mean, of course it was terrible. It was absolutely awful, but, uh, you know, we, you, we, our first show was actually with integrity. Wow. But then we played like, uh, yeah, I remember it was almost just an, it, it, the best part about it was that like, you got to get go to the shows for free we played with like hate breed and despair at discovery records which is this place upstairs it was like a thousand degrees there's no way it would it, it would pass like a fire marshal inspection now but like the foot the stage was like a foot tall um and, and those were yeah those were just amazing times i just loved it i mean was the band like a like it was it like a youth crew sort of thing oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah that kind of thing. and 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 um uh, no, it was fun. We never really left Buffalo. I don't think yeah. ever. Like maybe we would play like Erie, Pennsylvania once or twice, but it was uh, it was no. It was just to kind of just to kind of wet my whistle, dip my yeah. toes in, and and see what happened. And did that band uh, did that band record? Uh, yeah, just demo after demo after demo after demo. I don't think we ever like put anything out like substantial. Was it was it like four track, eight track, or did you ever go to like a studio with that band? No, there was uh, the local guy, Doug, uh, Doug White at Watchman Studios. He would do all the local hardcore bands. But he also did some good stuff, too. Like, he's done some Earth Crisis records. and um, He did uh, the – I was doing research. I saw he's the one who did Burial Plot as well, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And that, okay, and so you like recorded the, with him. Yeah, it, with – and those were like the the record everything in one day days, you know? Like set up, you're set up by noon, and if you're not done by eight, you know, too bad. I guess maybe if you're a big shot, you can like book a whole weekend and come on like the, the Saturday and the Sunday. I think he did for burial plot. I think we might have actually, 
uh, gotten like three whole days. And again, that was just very, very, just blew our minds. It blew what our minds you, uh, that we were like, yeah, wait, 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 you- wait, 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 we could spend more than one day in a studio. What? Yeah. Crazy. What do you, uh, what do you remember from that first recording experience? Like maybe with him, like, uh, do you remember enjoying it? Was it, do you, and how did that change over time? I remember he had a great story about, cause there was a mighty taco at the end of the street and he was talking about how he w- was recording a band and the, the one, the one guy, the bass player just was not, cause this was back also too, when like you were just in bands with your friends. So like, you didn't actually like weren't most of the time there's one or two guys in the band that just aren't good they just wanted to be in the band so it's like oh what's left oh the bass oh okay i remember him telling us a hilarious story about how um he was recording a band and the bass player was just like it wasn't like one more time it was just like okay he's clearly not going to get it so they sent him to mighty taco and Doug White re-recorded all the bass tracks, the entire record, while this dude went to get Mighty Taco. It was awesome. Uh, so I remember that story. Uh, <laughs> such a weird thing. Like, yeah, that's my first memory. Is this funny story? Um, there's a there's a meme going around right now. It's like it's like a Amer- it's Christian Barrel from American Psycho pointing at the the tape player or whatever, and it says it says bass players listening to recordings or whatever, like listening to the demo, not realizing that the guitar player re retract all his bass dude, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, it that's a real meme. I didn't know memes could be real. Yeah, I saw a great. I saw a great one yes, yesterday. Let me describe it to you. Um, no, I I'll send it to you later. Yeah, and but the actual recording, I don't. I just I always took it very seriously. So I just remember it just going in and hammering it out and just being very excited with the were final you recording, product. Were you recording live? Uh yeah, like like, like full band. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like a okay. This guy sits over here. This guy sits over here. Drummers in there. Uh, and then we just kind of all recorded together, kind of thing. And then uh, one of the, and then I was also in a pop punk band called The Budgets that also recorded there. But and I remember I had to uh, skip school one day to go and record my bass tracks. And so I like, I kind of pulled like, I, I I was like one take Jordan. I think I got that nickname for like a week because I I had to like leave school but then be back for like the last period. So oh I like went. And recorded my bass tracks and then went back to school. It was kind of awesome. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. I actually skipped over this. What with uh, with guitar? What was your first guitar? Uh, it was a uh, Midnight Blue Ibanez that my dad got me for Christmas or Santa, whichever one. I think yeah. thirteen. I was I, I I figured it out by then. Uh, yeah, like a Midnight Blue had a whammy bar, and I just remember my favorite part was like putting all the stickers on it. Of course, and I would, yeah. And it was, and, but I couldn't even like get to good stickers, you know, because you can't just. There was no Amazon back then, so I had to cut up flyers and then like tape the names of the bands, of the, like yeah. almost like a ransom note, like like that <laughs> style. Like my guitar looked like a fucking <laughs> ransom note. <laughs> um, that's that's incredible. Do you still have the guitar? Is it like in storage no, somewhere? No, I don't think so. I um. You know, you gotta get, you gotta let go of what doesn't serve you anymore. I, I, I can't. Uh, I'm, I'm. If I kept every guitar, and I felt, I always felt that way too. When, um, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be able to get guitars from ESP, and I always, I remember never meeting my quota because I was just like, well, I don't 
I don't need more guitars, you know, because they just kind of start to pile up. And then, you, you know, I'm not selling a f- guitar I got for free. Yeah. And so I was always just like, you know, just just kind of go, goes back to the pedal board thing. Like, let's just stick to uh, the basics, stick to what you need. And I don't remember exactly what happened. It's probably in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, if I had to guess. <laughs> Uh, somewhere, <laughs> uh, but no, I don't know where it is. But I got I got plenty of other guitars too. So um, you mentioned uh, that that the hardcore band went to actually real quick before I go there because you just mentioned you played in a pop punk band. What kind of pop punk was it? Was it like more like Jawbreakery or was it more like oh no Blink One Eighty Two ish Blink One Eighty Two Yeah oh, yeah sure budgets sure. and you were the playing budgets. bass yeah why nice. not was that the only band you played <laughs> bass in Yeah yeah I think so um yeah i like i like it though i i like i like picking up steve's bass and fucking around it's 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 cool were Um, you were you doing were you like were you a confident bass player in the sense i mean obviously you're a one take guy but like were you coming up with bass leads or were you just kind of following the guitar what do you remember oh dude i was taking that bass for a walk dude are you (laughs) kidding me oh i was so so, like listening back it was probably terrible but yeah dude i was i was taking my bass on walks that was making my dog jealous Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. Um, I, but you. then, I, and then we would cover, uh, we covered, because you know how like it was cool to like pop punk a not pop punk song? Totally. Oh, we pop punk covered the Golden Girls theme. Incredible. And it was, it was awesome. It was so awesome. Do you um, have that record? Do you have that band's recording anywhere? Or is that lost to time yeah. as well? Oh, okay. I think it's on iTunes. Class of 2000 was wow. the name of the album. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Who put the, that out? Yeah, go listen to it. Uh, I, you know. Don't even know. Sure. Yeah. I have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. so, we, so then after the, after the youth crew band, was there many other bands before, every time I, before you started Every Time I Die with Andy? uh no no and see that is what always blew me away like looking back on it like andy and and mike rap boy like approached me and they shouldn't have (laughs) because the band wasn't any good like they were actually like in this band sirhan which was like kind of cool and 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 heavy and 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 scary and I was in this like youth crew band that was not good, but they were like, yeah, we should be in a band. And we didn't know each other before that. Uh, I, I just have no, it was just destiny. And yeah. and they were like, yeah, we should be in a band. And, and the only reason we knew each other is because we just always saw each other at the same shows. Cause like I said, there were shows, it was like, it, even if there were no bands, like there were, there were days where I remember like getting up on a Sunday thinking I was going to a hardcore show and then finding out like, Oh, there's not one today. Cause there's no bands. <laughs> like, sure. like you would, yeah, yeah, like yeah. you would just go not even knowing who was playing. You just knew that it was Sunday. It was hardcore day at Kenzie's in Lockport. Right. Were you, because you're so close to the border of Canada, were you going to shows in Canada as well? Growing yes. Up? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, uh, Eated used to, our first show ever wasn't even in Buffalo. Our first show ever was in Canada. Um, at a record store with Buried Alive, and we like like actual record store, like people were standing yeah. in the aisles, um, and we would play Oakville all the time. We would play Hamilton all the time. Uh, like, was it, well, they, how much easier was it to cross just to play a show then? 
Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you, you, you had to go with the birthday lie. Uh, you had to either say you were going, uh, well, the biggest, the biggest, easiest, best, most successful rate, uh, story you could go with is, is the, we're crossing through to Detroit. Uh, um, because it was, it was like a shortcut. If you go around the great yeah, lakes, sure. it takes from Buffalo to, to Detroit, it takes like eight hours. But if you cross through Canada, it takes like four. Yeah. So, um, before the internet, you could just be like, yeah, we're playing in, Tur- or in Detroit. And then the internet came around and they go, Oh really? Let me check. Well, yeah. it says you're playing Toronto. And yep. then, uh, you know, you pull over and you, you, I just remember being terrified the first time it like didn't work. Where they're like, really? Oh, okay. Well, this says you're going to Montreal. Like, damn it. And yeah. then you pull over and they kept us there for like eight hours. And you're like just staring at these signs that are like lying to the border patrol <laughs> could be, could result in the death penalty. And right. you're, you're fucking scared shitless. So you're just like, we don't even want to go anymore. We just want to go home. We have like, and we were all in like one Ultima with like just guitars in the trunk. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember. I remember being scared shitless the first time that it didn't that they didn't believe us. But the other not as successful, like the rate of success was was like nine ninety five percent when you did the Detroit one. I'd say you'd go fifty fifty. You'd say you were going to play a birthday party in Canada, and that was like the backup. Like if you got caught lying, you say, "Oh, well, I don't know how you're going to lie your way out of." saying okay technically we are not going to Detroit. you kind of have to go all right you caught us but don't worry it's a birthday party we're not getting paid because that was a secret is like they don't want you coming in and making money so you had to come in and you had to go no 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 those t-shirts we give them away for free and we're playing a birthday party and we're not getting paid and um yeah once the internet came around they were just they could fact check you pretty easily so that's when you had to that's when you had to start getting like paperwork and shit well that was a headache what was the first tour that you actually did? I think it was with the budgets. <laughs> oh, I think yeah. the budgets the budgets toured with this band Idle Hands that was on Trust Kill. Oh and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh it was just really funny because we the shows were always falling through and like you know, as as first tours go. And then I remember we 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 were told I'm not gonna say the name, but we played in philadelphia and it was like outside in like one of those like roofed kind of campground things you know like shelter whatever's and i remember we played and we were told that we should leave before the hardcore kids get here because they'll beat us up (laughs) and they like the promoter actually was like yeah great show here's ten dollars but for real you should probably leave because we were like a pop punk band and we were like on a hardcore show um and that was just fun. That was like a week. And then we played the Creepy Crawl in St. Louis. Yeah. And we played, um, I forget. I think that was the only show that didn't get canceled outside from the one that we had to leave because yeah. of th- there was a threat. There was a threat of violence. But the uh, first Eated, the first Eated tour was, um, I would go Norma Jean Bleeding Through in 2001. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that would be it, probably. Let me and think. Was, yes, was it like a full U.S. or was it like a East yeah. Coast? Okay. Or no, wait, was I forget? We did kill. No, I think it might have been Kill Switch Engage Sana Sangre, but it was very similar because 
it was three bands and none of the bands this was like right when our first uh i think last night in town came out and none of the bands were big so we would just flip-flop who played what like one day kill switch would open one day kill switch would headline and this was right when their first cd came out too we played a show in south carolina and there were eight people um and then uh rap boy clogged jesse jesse from kill switch clogged his parents toilet i got (laughs) weird memories about tour like touring our our old tour manager uh manager biggie he always like he was always blown away by my ability to remember things just kind of based on um on on tour like i could be like oh that was the show and then i could kind of put myself there like okay well it was on this tour so that must mean that we were with these people which means that the turnout was this and it it it, yeah i could talk about tour i go about i could i got too many tour stories so if i go off on if i if i go off on tangents about rat boy clogging uh jesse from kill switch's dad's toilet um and then the dad having to go in with a coat hanger to unclog it <laughs> this is why do i remember these things so here's this is anyway sign of sign great kill switch was the first tour i think was the question you asked here's, here's where i'm gonna be an incredible and podcast. weird al was my first musical concert here's where i'm gonna be an incredible podcast host and i'm gonna watch how i'm gonna turn these all together how i'm gonna put this all together so now we're gonna yeah. we're gonna we're gonna sidestep and i'm gonna ask you uh because obviously you're a very known artist as well so we're gonna we're gonna sidestep we're gonna talk art for a little while then i'm gonna bring yeah. this all back okay so please uh, similar similar to music stuff what was the first time you remember connecting with art to where you know like you were inspired by it and, and excited you in a different kind of way uh first grade uh we went on a field trip to perry's ice cream factory and um there was like after the field trip there was like a contest like draw the field trip and i won a perry's ice cream t-shirt it was a white shirt with red with red ring like a ringer shirt yeah with a, a red and white ringer shirt with perry's ice cream on it and there was a dinosaur eating ice cream and i think just that was the first time i felt like that i was uh I excelled at that. Like it's, it's, it's a cool thing. Cause you know, I got a kid and so I kind of got a, got into to, to child psychology and, and those moments, the, like the first moment you realize like I'm, I'm the best one in the room at this, you know, it, you, you remember those moments. And so uh, that one stuck with me and it kind of had a double impact because I also liked doing it. So it's like, well, I like doing it and I'm good at it. This is uh I think I, I think I see trouble. I think this is this is going to be a part of my life. And um, so, yeah, I would say first grade and then sixth grade, I won the uh, Northwood Elementary yearbook cover contest, and I drew. I uh, everyone had to draw a, in art class like uh, a yearbook cover, and mine won. And so, yeah, I think it was a collage of like uh, of everyone just having a great time at Northwood Elementary, you know. But it was inclusive. You had someone getting pushed in a wheelchair. You had someone shooting hoops. You had the crossing guard. You had it was like, it was like the know. Burger King Kids Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just like that. Uh, and so, so yeah, you get these little mini. I mean, they're kind of like like uh, in sports trophies. You know what I mean? Like when right. you when you get when you win, you're just like, oh, whoa, yes. But it wasn't like a competitive thing. I never felt that way about art. I just felt well, like something i kind of had to feed 
what was your uh what was your way in were you like a comic book kid were you like redrawing comics was it like cartoons were you redrawing cartoon characters yeah i was i was redrawing he-man cartoons and and stuff i'd see on tv and i remember i drew on a chalkboard i drew skeletor on a chalkboard with permanent marker and i just remember being like why isn't this coming off why isn't this coming off and so it's just like it's like one of those stories that like you know your parents think is cute and tells like i remember when you yeah skeletor and marker and thought it was erased and so i would i would do that um and then i did eventually get into comic books as a teen and i kind of to this day i don't even really i can remember them just square by square by square by square i was a big punisher guy Mm -hmm. uh x-men guy but i never really read them i just liked the pictures and i could kind of like and i kind of like i kind of felt like as i was looking at them like oh i don't need to read it i know what's happening i'm like watching it happen you know so you kind of like make your own story like i don't need the dialogue i can just i remember this happened and then this happened and this happened but you really uh, i was looking at it from more of a uh, an artistic illustrator point of view and that got me into image do you remember image comics yeah totally yeah and so I was way like spawn. I was a spawn guy. Okay. I was such like a spawn guy. Yeah. Yep. And, and max with two X's and right. savage dragon, savage, savage dragon, right? Not yeah, savage I- garden, <laughs> savage <laughs> dragon. I was a savage garden and a savage dragon guy in my teens. It's funny. Um, I had, uh, I had, uh, Alex Pardee on the show and I know he's a mutual friend of ours. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you two both, it seems like you both kind of had like the same similar, uh, between like Max and, and Todd McFarlane and stuff like that, like early on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm lucky enough to have become friends with Alex over the years just because of, just because of life, you know, you're just like, Hey, I like what you do. Oh, cool. I like what you do. Totally, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, and then what was, uh, what was like the first medium that you felt like you connected with? Were you, was it, was it drawing or like, what about when it came to like painting? No, I was always, I was always pencil. I would go pencils just mm-hmm. because that's what I kind of saw. You, you could also image had these things where I loved. they would sell the books, but it was kind of like, it was kind of like the B sides. It was kind of like the demos where you, where it was comic books, but of the, the sketches, you know, so you could kind of see like the behind the scenes thing. And I used to love getting those and I just copied what they did. And so all comic book artists, uh, it seemed at the time where, well, you had the different job, like inking was a different job. Like, like you, you, you drew it in pencil and you shaded it in pencil and then you kind of. And I remember looking in the credits and, and, and kind of thinking it was weird. Like, oh, that's like another person comes in and like traces your drawing. Okay, right. I guess. Yeah. And so I never really made a connection to ink until I got to uh, started falling in love with like Derek Hess's stuff. And there's uh, in college, I really fell in love um, with an artist named Alan Kober, Alan E. Kober. And mm-hmm. he's from Buffalo, I believe. And he drew in just straight pen. And so that was around the same time I started really liking, you know, Derek Hess and his kind of, you know, the the energy. You could see the energy in his drawings. Right. And so I, I, I fell in love with ink uh, about, yeah, college, college level or like right before. I was still kind of trying to figure out like my artistic voice in, in high school. Like I... I I was good at it and that was my thing. And, you know, you get, 
don't want to brag, but I got most artistic uh, in uh, the senior yearbook. Yeah, uh, yeah, baby. But I still didn't really like have a voice. I didn't really know like because in in high school they they make you do everything. It's like okay, this assignment is watercolor. This assignment is pastel. This assignment is charcoal. Um, and then when you get to college, they're more of like find what you like, find what you're good at, find what works. And so um, I just started using pen, but like smearing it almost like it was charcoal. And I remember like having like burn marks and like cuts on my fingers because I was like, and and my teachers would be like, well, it looks cool, but I don't think you're really supposed to be blending ink with your fingers. But I just loved how it looked, how uh, how it it made it just added another dimension to to a drawing that made it less flat. And so I would say ink around. 2000s you know yeah that's where i kind of that's where i kind of found my my what i what i saw as as my own style shaping coming together right and i'm sure it was exciting too with liking Derek hess because that was a connection between the two worlds yes absolutely i have uh, a very distinct memory of um the guidance counselor in uh high school doing the whole like what do you want to be what do you want to you know when you grow up if you could if you won the lottery and money wasn't a, a problem what would you do and i i told them i was like i either want to draw comic books or be in a band and i i remember i don't remember word for word what he said but it was more of like a like a all right yeah let's try, try to let's try to come up with something a little more realistic there and yeah. i i that flipped a switch in me when I was just like, Oh, okay. Well, guess what? Fuck you. I'm going to do both. Actually. You, you kind of passive aggressively implying that I can do neither or that I wouldn't be able to, it wasn't that I couldn't, it was that it was like, Oh, that's not going to be a good future for you. And so, yeah, looking back, I think he might've been my first hater. He might've been my first hater who inspired me to, to go, Oh, you say I can't do that. Okay. Well now I'm going to do it twice as hard and twice as much and so i i i i just kind of went at both um pretty heavily until well e i was going to college majored in illustration i had a a, a like a got a small scholarship to university of buffalo for majoring in illustration and they were doing i was the last year that you could major in illustration because it was getting pushed towards uh graphic design and um uh computer design and photoshop and stuff and i was so anti that i was so i was like i was so stubborn about it like looking back i really wish i would have paid more attention because it's i could use it now but it was such like uh you can't tell me what to do and so right about then was when eated was getting to the point where we could make it a full-time gig and so after about two and a half years of uh, college, I, I put it on, I'm a proud dropout. I don't know if I, I put it on hold. I was always like, I'll go back. And then we did the ETID thing full time because it got to the point where I, I felt like I was half assing both, you know, like <clears throat> I was doing, we couldn't tour full time because because we, because I had classes and people had jobs. But I also like my art projects weren't as good as I wanted them to be because I would be like we'd be like driving to Chicago for one show and and you know coming back straight from there 
Like, I mean, there were times where I, I literally got home from a show in Chicago on like a Monday morning and had to get like, go just straight to, to, to college and, yeah, and yeah, be yeah. late and, and kind of had to like constantly lie about like funerals. Like, Oh yeah, I missed class. Cause I had a few, like, cause there's no way I should have been able to even pass classes with the amount of classes I was missing for hardcore shows. And sure. so I had to, I, I really just came to the point where I had to, uh, pick one or the other. And I remember I was at Red Lobster with my parents and I told them, I don't think I'm going to go to school tomorrow. I think, uh, I think I'm going to go try this band thing full time. And, uh, that was like 2002, 2003 ish. Yeah. And so I, um, didn't really do much drawing, uh, until I, I kind of shelved it for like a couple years until, uh, Eated like needed a banner for a tour and I, and we didn't really like, know we didn't really get anything we liked or we didn't really have any good ideas. And I was just like, Oh, I, I used to draw. And so I drew like a middle finger, but the, but it had Eated knuckle tats on it. Yeah. And we like used it as a banner for like a sounds of the underground tour in like 2005 or something. And so that's when I was like, that's when the whole Derek Hess, like, Oh, I could do both thing came back. So were you with the banner? Was it like, was it like you laid the whole banner out and then you drew it or did you make the design and then you had it printed? No, no, it was like, it was, I I had a friend who could do Photoshop. So I like gave him the drawing and said, can can you magically, you know, turn this into into a a 30 by 30, uh, you know, piece of cloth that we can hang up. Totally. Um, So yeah. And for people that are, that are listening that maybe wondering who Derek Hess is he he did a lot of album covers especially in the late 90s and the early 2000s uh a good example would be like the Converge Agoraphobic Nosebleed Split um the yeah that that drawing that. that drawing changed my life um and he was uh very big in Cleveland he would do like a lot of Cleveland pretty much posters for every concert and he even totally. had a, a a temporary exhibit up at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. He was oh, wow. a very famous guy. Yeah, he's been on he's yeah, he's very, very famous. He was on uh I've seen him on TV. He's been on TV, all right. Right. <laughs> so he's famous. I I had you ever a, heard of TV? <laughs> I had Jake Bannon on here uh some months back and he and I remember him saying that like his first art show, because he never really wanted to do art shows, was because of Derek. So it was like a combined art show between the two of them. So it's just, it's cool to hear how that, in, how his influence, like kind of, you know, go, uh, goes over so many different people in this world. So you then did the painting that was on the cover of burial plot bidding war. So, Oh yeah. So <laughs> I forgot about that. I got to put that on my online portfolio. So, Buckley.xyz. So, wow. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. So was that was that like a really fulfilling moment for you early on where you were like I get to do I get to kind of do both here like kind of have my I, both of my personalities be involved in this. Yes and no because there was uh it, it was an, a huge accomplishment but there was still like a massive amount of imposter syndrome going on where I felt like okay I did it but I don't feel like I know what i'm doing like Mm. yeah there's a finished product but if you asked me to do it again i would still need like a lot of other people's help um and again that was the kind of thing where i just just had something and i made it and i just kind of handed it to the person doing the layout doing this doing that uh it it was uh it, it so it 
it didn't scratch the itch, but it definitely it made it itchier, to be honest, because I was like, okay, I'm on the right path, but I'm not there yet, and I got a long way to go. How long until you did, because I know you obviously ended up doing um, other album covers for Every Time I Die, but um, did you end up doing any, I don't know if I know this, did you ever do any covers for other bands around that time or, or you know, even now? No, um, I, it, it, to go back to kind of what I was just talking about, I've kind of just bumped from this to that, to uh, sure. to to t-shirts to and then i got when i got sick of doing t-shirts i did posters and then um you know and then every once in a while i'll just find myself just obsessed with painting and so i'll just kind of like take a time out and just do paintings so um i mean i guess what we'd have to do is just go to jordanbuckley.xyz in the chronologically laid out online portfolio that i have and and you could look for yourself if you start at two, two, uh, 2022 and go backwards you can see me gradually suck more and more and more but if you start <laughs> if you start at 2002 you could see me getting better and better and better which sure. is uh which is crucial Right, right, um, right. But yeah, it's funny. I, when I was, I spent like the last year just combing through hard drives looking for like anything and everything I've ever done. And yeah, there were definitely times I've even gotten to stuff and been like, oh yeah, I remember when I, when I tried this, you know, like, <laughs> like just to, to go back to the, the burning my fingers, trying to, trying to blend ink I, I i mean like i i saw a picture of one of the things i did and i like felt it in my fingertips like it brought back that yeah. that pain <laughs> um, so with uh and by with, the way you're a great podcaster the whole time not just during the segues <laughs> appreciate it mm. um with uh with that burial plot ep coming out um I forgot that you guys originally put that on on Goodfellow, which is Chris Logan yeah. of of uh, yeah. Chokehold's label. Um, mm-hmm. Was that just through going and playing Canada? Because Chokehold, obviously, yes. Chris Logan, that's a Canadian label. Um, yep. Were you just introduced to him through like Buried Alive guys? Like, how did that come your way? Yeah, yeah. Like the first show we played at that record store, it, Goodfellow and Red Star Records were kind of like sharing an office. And Kid Gorgeous was a band from Buffalo, and they were on Red Star, and we were on good fellow and yeah he, he that was just it, there's really no no good story to it we just played canada a lot and he was there and he saw and he's like oh this band's young and we had this just demo that was just burning up the charts taking us to new heights and he's that like i the, gotta i guess i gotta get these guys a deal sign on the dotted line there was that cassette demo that i see had a couple of the songs that ended up on burial plot those were obviously re, were <clears> those re-recorded or were they the same versions uh re-recorded okay re i think yeah 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 the de- yeah yes because um our demo had a had a bass player John on it, and Burial Plot had a bass player Aaron on it. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it must it must have been. Two Were they both different done things. by Doug? By Doug yes, White? Yes, both done by Doug. Yep. Okay. Cool. And uh, John, yeah, John's. I think they're both doing great. I saw Aaron not too long ago. John lives in. I think he still lives in Japan. Um, yeah, they're great. He coined the term fire hydrant, which we still say this day to this day. So you know like the fire the, the like the the high chords in like late 90s hardcore that sound like fire sirens. Like wait, like, <laughs> yes. yeah, like, like the Norma yeah. Jean stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So he meant to say fire siren and he said fire hydrant and um but he didn't even like back down or he was just like, yeah, it's a f-. we're like, "Do you mean fire siren?" He's like, "No." And then he would play it and be like like a fire hydrant. 
And we're just like, oh my God, what is this? Is he okay? And so to this day, we call those chords fire hydrants. So oh, awesome. I'm sure, I'm sure you, being in a band that's been around for a long time, you have just inside jokes that you're just like, it's not even funny anymore, but it is now what I believe to be the correct way to say something. And you Absolutely. just, it's stuck. And then like, you'll say it around someone and then they'll be like, did you just say fire hydrant? You're like, I don't know. It was, it was from 25 years ago. Just don't worry about it. We always called those chords, uh, spooky chords. Cause they sound, they sound spooky. Like little, yeah, 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 little yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm getting scared just thinking about them. Um, then, uh, so you you already told the story of uh, of you know getting the call from Carl Fer- from Carl Ferret. Ferret around yeah. that time was starting to bubble, but it was like I think every time I die was very much a part of um, the fabric that ended up making Ferret pretty a pretty big household name in the early 2000s. Um, and I didn't realize when I was looking around that that uh, you actually did Last Night in Town with Adam from Killswitch. I didn't think yeah. I realized that before. Um, is yeah. that how you ended up on that tour together where it was like, oh, you did the record now. I guess we should take you on tour. Uh, yeah, but even even to kind of hammer home how humble the beginnings were, it wasn't even like they took us on tour. It was like a ferret tour. All right. And and we were none of us were like all both of our CDs were coming out at the same time and then um no Sana Sangre wasn't on Ferret though. They were heavy, dude. You remember Sana Sangre from yeah. Syracuse? Were they on what? they weren't on maybe Truskill? Because Truskill was from Syracuse, I so I kind of just assume. My record store brand is almost making me want to say they were on like Tribunal or something like okay. that. Okay. Yeah, you 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 could be right. Um so yeah, when we did that with Adam, that was cool. Uh I remember we started, uh, the board started on fire. I remember that. I eulogy. remember thinking that was cool. Eulogy. I just needed to, I needed there to. There you go. There eulogy. Go. The, the other one. The other one. Yeah, it's around that yeah. time. Sorry. Uh, so you were no, saying. No, that's good. Uh, yeah, the board started on fire. I remember that. I remember we ate a lot of Subway. We stayed at, speaking of spooky, we like stayed in the woods. Um, <laughs> and he had done the first Norma Jean uh, album, the one with, with Josh on it, uh, right before ours. And so, okay, so now my timetable's coming back to me, because the Kill Switch Sana Sangre tour was first, yep. and then the following summer was the Norma Jean bleeding through one, because uh, I remember Norma Jean you know, playing us their album, being like, oh yeah, we recorded with Adam D like a month before you guys did. And they did it like they did it live. Like they straight up just all played it live. And, and we, you know, so it was fun to kind of talk to them about yeah. the different, we, we recorded at the same place, but we had different processes. Whereas Adam, you know, took us on the, you know, the more conventional, you know, get the drums down, then I get track, the, this yeah. down. Then the, yeah. Whereas the, the first Norma Jean CD, they just all just ran through the songs like a million times just together and just came did up with, Adam- uh, with, with that album. Did Adam have like a like a legitimate studio at the time, or was it like kind of yeah? Crazy? Okay, cool. No, it was legit. It was legit. And Howard Jones came down and did vocals on one of the song, and he was he wasn't not even in Killswitch. His blood has been shed. Obviously, yet point, he was in blood has been shed at that point, and um, he came in. Uh, I'm just trying to think of weird memories. Uh, yeah, like I said, I just remember eating a lot of Subway. And I remember, yeah, Aaron was on that record. Uh, that because that was you know when you're broke, you broke five dollar footlongs, dude. Come on, straight up. What was living uh, on five dollar footlongs? Talk to me about 
the original album cover for that with with all you guys in like the very reservoir dogsy looking uh yeah i I i've always loved that cover and uh, i've always just want to know the backstory like what was the setup for that what was the motivation what were you guys going for uh that just reservoir dogs and that is uh one of uh uh keith's uh old besties koa that that is getting beat up on the front and okay. he was the singer of the budgets to bring it full circle. Wow. The singer of the budgets is the one getting beat up on, um, on the cover of last night in town. And I remember it was supposed to be red and, uh, it was green. Yeah, <laughs> and was so versions. I forgot about that. It was corrected uh, at the point, right? Yeah. And so yeah. we had, and so we had to just go with the whole, like, Oh no! This is just the limited edition green one, but it, looking back on it, it, it definitely was the first time that you know you kind of just have to make peace with the fact that not everything is going to go according to plan. Um, sure. Well, which is a great line from Far- the Fargo. Do you watch the Fargo TV show ever? Yes, absolutely. Great line. Doctor Senator said something that always stuck with me. He said God invented tornadoes to remind us that we're never in control. And uh, that is how I look at the green. Our first album, we were so excited, and we got them on tour. Dude, we were so pumped. They got delivered to, like, the second day of tour. And we're, like, so bummed because we couldn't have them for the first day. But don't worry, you'll have them for the second day of tour. And then we open up the box, and they're just the wrong color, man. How does that the even wrong... happen? How does that even happen? Ah, it... I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But then, then flash forward fucking 20 years later. And low teens comes out and I'm getting texts all day. They're like, why does my, why is my vinyl missing two songs? Oh my God. Oh, that yeah. mu- Oh, it must be cracked. And then the next tweet comes in. Why is my vinyl missing two songs? Wait, are they the same two songs? Oh, they're the two best songs. Oh, cool. Epitaph records. We don't need to put two of the songs on the vinyl. That we has- could just call it limited and then and, but okay you can pass off the green thing from like as limited edition you can't pass off missing two songs as limited ed- no one wants that limited limited edition isn't actually supposed to mean that you are limited to the, the product is limited <laughs> yeah. all right the coffee's the coffee kicked in i was sleepy when we started but now i'm getting riled up dude i remember <laughs> when that happened i was just like holy fuck that was uh that was a that was a shocking one but it is funny how like i'm sure at some point if not already like that becomes the like ooh, i have the i have the misprint it's worth more right 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 the green thing like i said you could pause that up but no we tried and now you know i got like my parents still have a garage full of low teen vinyl that is missing two songs because we tried the whole hey limited edition but kids at shows you know, maybe they have a couple, one or two pops in them. Maybe they don't see the sign and then they get home and they're like, okay, I just got ripped off, you know? Right. And it's like, well, we sold it for $5 less. Yeah. No, yep. It, it's, oh, that was don't tough. remind me. Yeah. That was it, tough. And that's just one of those things where I really, I remember, I might've even sent that text. I was like, what is this green last night in town? What is going on right now? Why are there like hundreds of tweets asking me where the, and it wasn't even like, it was the end. Okay, it was the end of side A. Yeah. So it was like two middle songs. Like you couldn't even be like, oh yeah, they're the the last two bonus. Like back 
back in the days of the CD, remember how the bonus was just the last yeah, song yeah, and then yeah. there would be like seven minutes of minutes, silence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we couldn't even pull that off, but uh, nope. yeah. So back to last night in town, we got the green ones. We got the red ones. Koa was getting beat up on the cover. We just, yeah, I think we just wanted to go. And I remember I was supposed to be, well, we took like a lot of photos and yeah. I, of who was going to be doing what in the picture. And so when it was like my turn to um, be the the Punisher de- delving out the uh, the beating, uh, I remember like scraping my knuckles on a skateboard to try to get them to bleed so it would look cooler for the picture. Ouch. And yeah. it really hurt bad. And then the picture, like it, you could, you know, you could see like a little scab on like one knuckle. Meanwhile, I'm like taking a sandblaster to my hand, <laughs> uh, committing but, to but it. Yeah, committed to the bed. Yeah, but then, but then I think you know, obviously, you know, you you, you kind of want to always want the, the the whatever picture was used just ended up being the best picture, and so um, yeah, you know, I got this, I got this scar on my knuckles to remind me. Um. I promise we're not gonna we're not gonna go album by album or anything like that. But I, dude, I, I'm here. I'm here. I told you. I woke. I already woke up. It took me a couple minutes, but I'm I'm jamming. We're not. I'm not letting you go. This is a four hour. <laughs> we're going album by album. We're doing well, it. Well, with with uh, so the next record you did was Hot Damn, and I remember that was the first time. Well, I mean, there was a sonic shift in the band. I remember things got a lot more rock and rolly. And first off, we could even just start there. What was the what were you and maybe Andy listening to at the time that made that shift happen? That shift was quite honestly more rap boy where um, he was. <laughs> I love him so much, dude. He plays in a, a, a cover band in Buffalo. I, I see him all the time. He's so uh, such a good dude. Uh, but when we were writing, I remember he was it was like it was like American Idol. Like you would bring your riffs to Rap Boy and he would either send them to Hollywood or send them home. Like you couldn't even like th- <laughs> this was it, he wouldn't even try shit if he didn't like it. Yeah. And so uh, or or he would do the tri- and we were young kids at the time. So, uh, you know, it, the story's funny. But, you know, the move where like. If if someone doesn't like something, they kind of play it like shit, and then be like, "See, it's not good." Like he he used to love doing that, where you'd like have a riff, and then you like play it half ass and crappy. He'd pull, and like, he'd pull a Lars see? and some kind of monster. He'd tell you that riff yeah. was rock. Oh man, he wouldn't. Yeah, no, it wasn't even. It wasn't even that. It was just like it was like why why did why tell you when I can show you, and I'm going to show you how bad it is. Um, and he was just he was just kind of just taking that stuff and just i you could just tell that's what he was kind of wanting to do more and so it's so and then when you're at practice you're like well i want to i don't like sitting around awkwardly i like being productive i like accomplishing things so then you would kind of start you almost were like well i'm gonna write stuff that i know rap boy you love you know it was it was like well i could either bring this uh you know dead guy ask uh weird spooky part yep. or i could bring this like you know almost yeah you know, i kind of want to say like a stone temple pilots kind of where not where I, I wouldn't say he was trying to go as far as to like radio rock us at all because a lot of bands were doing that a lot of bands like 
started hardcore and then once they got uh, the sniff of success they did the whole you know taking the foot off the brakes and how can we get on the radio kind of thing right and so it wasn't necessarily yeah that was the early 2000s too where like a lot of major labels were doing the trying to sign hardcore bands thing so i get it right yeah Right, right. It's, I wouldn't necessarily say it was that. It was more of just what he was into. You know, he was a big Queens of the Stone Age guy. And, and now, you know, I am too. Um, so it was really just... daddy. You have to be. I'm, dude, you have no idea. You got to come out here. When are you going to be out here next? We're going to the woods. Yeah. We're going to do peyote. We're drinking ayahuasca. We're not coming back until we can fly. Yeah, I'm going um, to break edge with you out in the woods that's it's it's all natural um so we we, i remember too that it was very i have an awkward story about that is joe barisi who recorded x lives wanted to record gutter and so this dude flew out from california to a practice to watch us practice and help us write but we had such a weird writing style that he just, it was just awkward. Like we were not a band that just tried everything. We didn't, we weren't a band that, that threw everything against the wall and, and saw what stuck. We were a very like, like I said, if, if, if Rat Boy gave it the thumbs down, we're moving on, you know? And yeah. so he kind of came and thought he could watch us write together. And we were just having like, he was only there for two days. And those two days we were just having like very stuck, energy because uh it it really was like how are we going like we didn't sit down and say okay well hot damn is this and we want to go here and we want to keep this i really only write based on one preface and that's that i i want to not like the last thing i did anymore i'm just constantly always trying to outdo the last thing i did um you know, whether it's art, music, or just being a, a better person. I just want to be a better person every day. I want to be a better father every day. And so I, I don't even like writing music until I can look at the last thing I did and say, oh, okay, oh, okay. If I could do that again, I would do this. If I could do that again, I could do this. And so we all were kind of deciding inorganically what direction to take and, um it, it, he just Joe just happened to come on days when we just had we had one song we had kill the music written and that was it and uh it was very uncomfortable and then we went to a strip club and um and then he went home and then he recorded our like we we recorded with him like 12 years later right. because we ended up going because we ended up doing the exact same thing with machine except instead of machine who recorded gutter he didn't fly to buffalo we went to new jersey for the day but it was it was the same exact thing with Joe Breezy. We got there and he thought we were going to be writing together. And it was like, here, check out our one song we have. And he's like, oh, this is awesome. This is great. What else you guys got? And we're just like, that's nothing. It. Yep. Yeah. I got these 10 riffs that Rap Boy hates. <laughs> like, you want, <laughs> if you want to do those. Um, what was, uh, and- how, how did you end up meeting Eric Rachel? Because that was the first, I remember that. So like when, when I got Hot Damn, I was already uh, into the band. I really liked Last Night in Town. Um, the first thing I think I remember noticing was just the production in general, where I was like, wow, this record mm-hmm. sounds fucking punchy. Like, a, a, a well, punchy record is going to immediately catch my interest, especially like a punchy kick drum. So that that was like, holy fuck. So I then wanted to kind of like look into other records he had done. 
internet was still kind of not the greatest at that time. So like, talk to me about how you ended up going to this guy. Well, when it came time, you know, you go over your options and you, so he was recording at Tracks East and Steve Evitz, Tracks East, that was our mecca because- Yeah, because and and he had made some of our favorite records. He had done, you know, Dead Guy. He had done Snapcase. He had done so many great victory Evans. hardcore records. Steve Evans did. Yes, yes. Evans, Steve yeah. Evans track seats. So that was like, you know, you put the the, the wish list, the dream. Like, what's your dream? Or our dream? Like when the band started, our dream was to be on Hydrahead. That's all we wanted. And then you know, you're you're you kind of raise the bar and raise the bar. And so when it came time to record, it was like, what's your dream? Well, our dream is Steve Evitz at, at tracks East. And so it, it, you know, it was a blessing in disguise. It was, it was Carl came back to us and was like, you know, good news, bad news tracks East. Yes. But Steve Evitz is busy doing something else. But the other guy that records there, Eric, Rachel, uh, is is available, and so we were just like, yeah, of course. Like, okay, I yeah. mean, it's not going to be. It's not like it's going to be bad. It's still tracks east. So, yeah. and and obviously, if this guy has had worked with Steve Evans, I, I never even knew. What, I didn't even know what Steve Evans looked like. It was just like this mystery, and so it was kind of like, well, we won't actually get to see behind the curtain completely, but we'll get a, a maybe a peek, you know, a taste of it, yeah, and. And so we're like, yeah, of course. And so we did that. And that was while I was still in college and I was driving literally back and forth between New Jersey, New Brunswick, New Jersey, and uh, Buffalo, New York to, you know, this goes back to what I was talking about a half hour ago where I was just kind of half-assing both. Like I, um, I was straight up doing this eight hour drive back and forth. I remember like I, I listened to the first used CD, like, at least twice a drive. Um, I, 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 I cannot, I could do that drive now blindfolded still. And it was, I remember one time, like, uh, do you have guys that like recording and some guys in your band that don't like recording or some guys per like, they like recording more than touring. Some guys like touring more than recording. Yeah. I kind of think, I kind of think we're a mix of all of that for sure. Yeah, so this was like the first time we ever had like a strict like, okay, do it again. Okay, that's not good enough. Okay, you know, whereas the first couple things we did, they basically just take what we do and and take the best of it and put it together. But this was the first time it was like, no, you have to keep doing it until it's perfect. Like, because that's what an album is. <laughs> you record your songs and if you're playing them wrong, then they're technically not your songs or whatever. And so we were all kind of just having growing pains. And and I, I remember like getting a call where Andy was particularly stuck on. Oh, oh did, okay. You know, the little boop, 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 that you can hear on a guitar and you, and like in a recording sometimes, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, and you don't know how it got there, but you can hear it in other things. Like I could hear it on Deftones albums. I could hear it on Dead Guy albums. And it's this weird like boop, 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 pinch, you know? Yeah. And Andy couldn't get it to stop to the point where I got a call from Steve. And this is like one hour after I had just gotten back to Buffalo. And he's like, can you come back? Andy just quit guitar. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, yeah, like he's getting this weird like sound 
And like all day, because I was ready for a call from Steve being like, oh, yeah, we got three more songs done. Yeah, you shit's know? in the queue. So we're, was, we're good. We're killing it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I got a call. No, we didn't start yet because they can't get this noise to stop happening. And it drove Andy so crazy. Andy was just like, I quit. <laughs> and like, this was early out of the band. Steve kind of took it seriously. He's like, I think anybody just quit. I don't know. <laughs> but it was more of just like a frustrating like studio day. But so I, I actually... Right back? I did not because uh, I came back like a day earlier to help, but I was just like, maybe you guys can figure it out. I right. mean, <laughs> I feel like Eric Rachel should be able to figure it out. Yeah, track these um, baby. Fix that, fix that noise. Yeah, I'll send you after this. I'll find some because, and that's another thing is that when I heard it, I was like, oh, I hear, I know what this is and I hear it on big bands records. So if, it, it, to me, it was almost like I've had it happen. It was almost like, a, well, if it's happening to cool bands like the Deftones, then it's a really problem. Yeah. 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 Uh, but that, see, yeah. So that was a lot of back and forth driving. Um, we, we, and those are the days where like you didn't even get like, it wasn't like, okay, I'll call you when it's mixed. It was like, it was like mixed. He was, it was like getting mixed as it was being recorded. So then when you do the final drive home, you like have the final product with you, except you for mastering, except for mastering. I still don't know exactly what mastering is, but I know that we were driving back, listening to it and just being like, so here's our, here it is. Here's hot damn. Yeah. Uh, to first question. And it I always smelled, and it always smelled like, uh, orange cleaning product because eric rachel used orange cleaning product so i cannot smell orange cleaning product without thinking of track east and eric rachel and he um used to always chew those like mint peppermint toothpicks ah. um because I, I they helped him like get over smoking and so uh peppermint toothpicks and citrus uh tabletop cleaner will always forever remind me of eric rachel and hot damn and the first used CD. Nice. Um, <laughs> did uh, around that same time you guys did, which I think was your first music, was a Bullarama your first music video? It was right. Uh, I don't think there was we a music video did one off f- last night. We in town, did one I? for Logic of Crocodiles on, oh, off true. Last Night in Town. True, true, true. And I remember that one because. I had horrible food poisoning or something. I just had like a 24-hour bug. We filmed it in Cleveland. Um, In the video, you can see I'm playing in a a, a Navy Hopesfall hoodie because I had the chills. I had the chills so bad. I was freezing. I wanted to play in a blanket. And I'm like, I have to protect. I have to like go off and i like can't i can barely keep my stomach together and it was just one of those shows where you know you hit the stage and then everything just kind of disappears and everything's great and then you get off stage and everything comes back and you're like okay and then you know i had to drive back and i had to drive back because i had school the next day and like my girlfriend at the time we had to like pull over so i could like throw up every like 25 minutes and we like were with strangers because i remember it was like, it was like a big deal. We're going to film a music video in Chicago. So we, I think at the time, Eat It had its own message board. And so we like, we're like, hey, anybody want to come be in our music video? So two, I, we, me and my old girlfriend drove like two complete strangers there. 
And these poor kids are just like had to pull over on the 90, like, like to watch me throw up. And then I was like, I think they were bummed too. Cause I had to like leave right away there. Cause it was, we weren't even headlining the show. We kind of like, we kind of just like, uh, sneakily juiced, uh, Norma Jean's crowd. Cause they were bigger than us at the time. So it's like, yeah, we're going to film this video at Peabody's and the crowd's going to be crazy because it's a Norma Jean show. And they, like I said, they were, they were like, uh. They, they were a little bigger than us at the time. And so we just kind of stole their crowd. We're just going to use your crowd real quick to make it look like we pack venues yet. Um, but, it, you know, it wouldn't be long before we would. Uh, it's funny. I remember. And then, I yeah, and then like a bowl of Rama. Yeah, sorry. I feel like you guys did potentially have a message board because I remember uh, I had an early every time I die shirt that the back just in a very early two thousands, late nineties thing where it just had the website on the back, which was shitty dudes.com. Shitty dudes.com. Yeah. yeah. Shitty dudes.com. <laughs> shitty dudes.com back in the early two thousands definitely meant a, a different thing than shitty dudes right now. You know, yeah, you don't want to be a shitty dude no, right now. Not at all, but uh, I feel but like at the time guys, it just meant, we, I feel like yeah. you guys probably could have, could have sold that, uh, that URL for quite a lot of money, uh, a little later on in life. You know what? I should, I should, I, we probably still have it. Uh, Portland front that, took care of like all the the graphic uh aspects of ferret i'll i'll <laughs> i'll hit them up yeah um, what what i was gonna bring what what my segue was gonna be you know like i feel like you guys really did encapsulate a lot of um that era uh so much where like yeah like obviously you mentioned being influenced by Derek Hess and then you guys did a music video with Darren Doan where like I feel like those two are in the same conversation of that era um and I was just curious what um what your experience was doing a video with Darren Doan like what did he seem like a busy dude considering he was doing everybody's music videos around that time because considering his cameras were so shaky you're like oh he must be so busy that (laughs) well that was kind of like that was just another it was almost like the starter kit like the follow just follow what bands that you like are doing. They're recording at tracks East. They're on ferret or trust kill. They do their music videos with Darren Doan. Like that is, that was just the the layout. Yeah. They play Hellfest. They get denied going into Canada. Uh, that, yeah, so that was just the the program, and so obviously when we heard he was in on it, we're like, yeah, okay, of course. Uh, did it at like a roller rink. Yep. Um, I think really that's all there was to it. Darren Doan, roller rink, shaky cam. To to call back the whole extension of old lingo, like even when we're doing videos now or we're filming stuff now, you know, we're just like in an editing thing. It's like, yeah, just. Darren Doan, this can't this with this shot a little bit like we like the shaky cam we call it Darren Doning. So uh, he was Perfect. a great guy. I, I I wonder what he's up to. And then he put out like a a DVD of all his music videos. And so yeah, like of course you're gonna want to be on the next one. You know, he was doing all of our friends all, all of our friends videos. He did like a Treyu videos and Poison the Well videos, and uh, it, it, it felt good. To, yeah. yeah, it felt good to follow in the footsteps of bands that you would not mind you know having the career of you know they it they they're playing the same place as you are they're just drawing more people so if we just kind of follow the formula then one day we'll we'll draw just as many people and i wanted to ask like i i mean from an outside perspective i feel like hot damn you know 
made the band much, much more popular. Uh, it probably took a little, a little time of the record being out. Um, but I was curious if you remember like when the moment was when there was a shift where it went from like, maybe you guys drew a couple hundred people to uh, quite a few hundred people. Um, was that on that record? I, re- I remember Hellfest 2000. So I don't even think Hot Damn was out yet. But Hellfest 2000 was was the show where we, it was it was our biggest crowd and it was absolutely insane. It was absolutely everything you could ever dream. Like I, I wouldn't say that our bars were set low. I would just say that we just kind of kept achieving our goals kind of rapidly. So we would just kind of have to have no choice but to keep raising the bar. But it always. Uh, it feels good to remember starting out where we would just be so happy if we just had this little taste of this, just this little taste of this. And everything after that is a bonus. And right. so, so much of of Eated has always been like, well, I guess we'll stop when people stop caring or when we stop sucking. And it just kind of never happened. We just kind of, it was just always gradual. So there was really no one thing in that era um because you know you were still playing the shows for 30 people so there were you know you would you would definitely have better shows and you would definitely sell better merch but i would say the um the the moment was we did like a a throwdown probably the first time we went to california and we did it we were on tour with throwdown and martyr ad and yeah when you can like go to california and have people like freaking the fuck out for your for your music and then we had to literally turn around we had to like miss the last two shows because keith had to get back for school um and we like found out that day it's like yeah i have to go home like oh okay i guess we should tell martyr that we can't do the last two shows uh and it it so it's still like every time we would we would take uh like three steps forward there was still like a one step back because you still had to like adjust to the the three steps forward you yeah. it was like you you almost had a, a ceiling and that we kind of kept having to raise ourselves like do we quit school do we quit our jobs do we f- go f- full-blown um taking every tour we can get because we didn't have an agent at the time or a a, a manager or, or a booking agent carl was just doing everything um so in my head getting a tour booked was the next big uh, check to cross off. And it just seemed so hard. It seemed like we came from an era where you just booked your own tours. Like we get, we did the Norma Jean uh, and bleeding through tour. And I think like Norma Jean booked it themselves. I I think like, Mm -hmm. I feel like the first couple tours we did were just booked by people in bands. And so that's when it was kind of like, Oh shit. Like, do we have to book our own tours too? And then so Ratboy kind of started doing it. It it opens the doors to these things that you don't know you need to know. You don't realize, like, wait, I have to play drums and settle a show? Like, this is this is bizarre. So I think uh the first like booked tour, you know what it was? It was the tour probably shortly after that one. It was American Nightmare, Poison the Well um 18 visions and someone was supposed to be on it and uh they dropped off and they asked us to do it last minute 
And like we had another tour booked and we had to cancel it. And I, we felt super shitty, but like I think it was with Blood Has Been Shed and they were just super nice guys because we were just kind of honest and we were just like, this is the shittiest thing in the world. This is the shittiest fucking thing in the world. But like at the time, Poison the Well and American Nightmare were the biggest bands totally. and they were both going on tour together. And they asked us and we were like in the process of like finalizing a Blood Has Been Shed tour. And they were just like, no, dude, go, go do it, go. And I'll never forget that. That was so awesome of them because they could have been like assholes, not asshole. Like we were the they assholes. Could have been for understandably even, mad about it being like, yeah. Like, understandably mad, but no, yeah. they were understandably supportive. And so that's another reason why I just kind of knew that I was in the right career path you know like these people that's it's a there's a sense of unity there's a sense of we want everybody to excel we want happiness for everybody uh we want we want uh we don't merch isn't a competition yet like that it had turned into you know in 2000 it was fast (laughs) it was a you were genuinely happy for for bands and uh it was great and so we did that tour and that was the one where we kind of said all right, I think we're going to be something. I think we're going to we're going to need to quit our jobs. I think we're going to need to not go back to school. Right on. And I, th- I forget what year that was. That was probably like 2002, 2003 maybe. That sounds accurate. Yeah. Um and I was kind of a man. I would <laughs> This story sucks. So, you know, you're a kid, you're crazy, you're having fun, you're on tour and uh uh the, I I you know, you get encouraged to do things, you know, uh, and I would stage, I would cover myself in uh, different condiments and stage dive because it was like back when like acting wild and crazy was, you know, wild and crazy it, just to be young again. You know, exactly. it, it was very, it was a hit. It was a hit. Condiment man was a hit. Um, and it was even at a time where like if you're in an American Nightmare show and someone stage dives on you covered in a mint jelly. Like it's, it was almost like funny. Like you went home. It was like, it was like a, uh, you're, you're going to go home with a ruined shirt anyway. Uh, yes. cause you're going to, you know, so this day, now I got some mint jelly cause the guitar player of every time I die stage dove on me, it was but I apologize day. to anyone whose days I ruined by jump by stage diving on them in, to American Nightmare covered in mint jelly. Yes, it was. A it only happened once. It was a different time. I remember the amount Twice. of times I would yeah. go to shows at Chain, and there would be someone who would stage dive naked. It was just a different, right? Yeah, different, yeah, different yeah. Different time. Um, oh my, she naked. Oh my god, we uh, <laughs> stage diving. <laughs> just get asshole right Dude. on your face. Asshole right on. Yes, your face. exactly. It was just. It was a different time. You just never knew what you were going to get at a hardcore show. Just it's a bunch true. of people just to be uh, young and free. Um, actually, this is kind of a funnier, I, I can segue to this real quick, but, uh, but, uh, you know, you guys, um, were really good at marketing yourselves as kind of, uh, crazy, you know, wild, funny, yeah. funny people. It was on brand. Yeah. You had DVDs, uh, before I think kind of everybody else, you know, kind of really showing that funny side of you, which I think kind of worked really well timing wise, because this was like the days of jackass. This was all of that. Like. Everybody kind of felt uh, like they got to know you personally because of those DVDs, which is which is like really cool and ahead of its time that you guys did that. But I'm, what I was curious yeah. of is, um, did that have any sort of weird effect on you guys in the long run where like people maybe expected things of you when maybe you weren't in the mood for it or like you were sort of expected um, to be this, expected to be that? No, because it wasn't necessarily that. It was the... Well, this is before the internet, so it was very 
weird when people that I did not know acted like they knew us. Exactly. You know? Yes. So it wasn't necessarily like, like, I, hey, entertain me kind of thing. It was more like a, just using some some words and some language that you're just like, wait a minute, we can't, we, you don't know me, like you can't bust my balls, like, right? They, they, that was basically it. They thought they had it. it the DVDs definitely gave permission, get, made people think they had permission to j- bust our balls on like a friendly level. When it's like, no, Andy will. Andy will punch you if you if you if you touch him again. <laughs> you know totally. what I mean, like stuff like that. Yeah. But you also you just kind of take the good with the bad. That was my approach to Eta the whole time. Was that it was just such an awesome way to live. I loved it so much. I had so much fun that every every job is going to come with a part that sucks. Uh, you know. Um, I just watched ten hours of the Tom Brady documentary, and that guy's miserable. You know. <laughs> So, so I mean, there's there's always there's suffering that comes with every job, and if the worst part of my job is that strangers think they're my best friends, then I guess I'll just have to learn how to deal with that. You know, it's a great answer. That's a great answer. Huh. Um, well, all of my answers have been great, but yeah, that one knows too. <laughs> Let's. Uh, I, I and ask, all your questions have been great, and all your answers have been great. I wanted to ask about uh, because you guys had gone to so many producers, and of course, you ended up uh, doing a couple records with Steve Evitz, which is awesome that you got to have that 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 uh that come full circle but um what i wanted to ask was was there ever one producer like one producer that you felt understood the band more than any of them like i mean i would definitely go to will putney uh who did our last two um absolutely no disrespect to anyone that ever put time and effort into our records everyone is special uh i love the fact that um it was actually kind of unusual that we did go to Steve Evitz twice. I kind of really liked going to a different person each time. You 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 learn. You everybody's got their own tricks. Everybody's got their own secrets. Um, but I I feel like uh, Will only because you know we just kind of kept getting better as a band. So the the it's like a video game you just level up and level up and level up and then you unlock different weapons when you know in a video game it's like oh cool level three you get this cool ass fucking sword and then <laughs> level four you get the sword with the axe on the back of it and uh so i feel like our tools and our, our weapons were so finely tuned um by the time we did our last two records that we could do what was asked of us because there were times in the, in the past where, you know, you got to consider these guys have recorded with professionals. And so they would say, they would say things that we, they would have requests that we couldn't do. You know, I remember machine being like, oh, yeah, can you just like rip a solo right here? And I'm just like, what? No, I'm in a hardcore band. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> rip a solo. Uh, so there were times and, uh, where, where our own limitations got in our way. Um, but those limitations were less and less and less and less as time went on. And awesome. so I, I don't know if the answer would be the same if like Will did our first CD, obviously. I think it was just right place, right time, right people kind of thing. Awesome. Awesome. What do you, uh, I remember when it was announced you guys were doing a record with Kurt that got me really excited just because I am a fan of, mm-hmm. of Kurt Ballou's recordings, but B because I liked the meshing of the two of you together. Um, how was that experience for you? I've mentioned this in the past, the from parts unknown album, I felt 
specifically for that one less prepared than any record. Um, and maybe it was honestly, maybe it was just cause I was intimidated by Kurt cause we were just such big converge fans. He's a, he's an intimidating guy. He's an intimidating presence. And so I don't know if it was just kind of insecurities getting to me, but I, I was more nervous to start that process because like I said, we had kind of just come to this natural realization that we're just going to go until it stops being fun or until we start sucking or until people start care, stop caring. Um, almost like a treadmill that, that once you fall off the treadmill, it's hard to get back on the treadmill. And I really, I was talking to my mom on the, before I left and I was just like, I feel like I got a bad feeling that we're about to fall off the treadmill, but, uh, I couldn't have been more wrong. It was great. Um, we stayed in Salem. Oh, dude, the first night we were there, we stayed in an Airbnb, Airbnb down the house. <laughs> I, I, let me just try this whole sentence again. We stayed at an Airbnb down the street from the studio. And, uh, this is Salem. And we looked it up and, um, apparently, uh, during the witch trials, uh, a woman named Sarah had, uh, froze to death in the attic and we weren't sure if it was our place or the place next door but this is no lie in the kitchen while we were like talking about it the first night the radio came on and it was that song went sarah was that jefferson airplane or something sarah i swear to you i'm not making the story up holy shit yeah yeah it was awesome it which was is, so awesome. Which is huge Jefferson Airplane fans. <laughs> is that? Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I guess I, man, or maybe she was just a fan of any song that had her own name in it. I don't, I, there's no Jordan song, so I don't, I can't have that joy of hearing my name uh, oh, in a song. Man. That's crazy. But it, yeah, That's terrifying. I know. And then, and then we pre-proed and we ran through stuff and it just kind of, kind of ironed itself out it was just like oh no this is gonna be awesome this is gonna be really 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 awesome especially because you're like staying down the street you can just kind of like go wake up you know exercise there was no like real like like uh strict schedule it felt very like when you're staying where you're recording it it, it makes it so much more comfortable you can you know if you have an idea that's not right there you're just like i know i can just go back to the place Go to go in my haunted bedroom and and crank out an idea, and I'll have it for the next morning. Um, and so during pre pro, it was great too. Um, uh, uh, we were doing, you know, we had skeletons for a lot of songs, and so one of the songs at the end. And man, I I love legs. Legs is our drummer at the time, but he was like beat. He was done. He was just totally roasted. And, and like, it was like we had the drum room for like one or two more days, but we didn't really need it. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, hey, let's write a song with Kurt or, or at least like see if Kurt can help us with this one song that's not, it ended up being a B side. And I just like the, 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 the fact that I was in a room with Kurt Ballou of Converge writing together was so cool. And I just remember like legs was kind of pulling a rap boy, like a whole, like we already have everything we need, but I mean, looking back on it now, I totally get it. Like he was done. He was done. And then we're just like, 
yeah, but let's go ma- write one more song. Right. And, his, and his, he's already checked out in his head. He's got kids. Uh, he, he was looking forward to getting home to. And um, it was funny. So then there was that day. And so the next day we had a day off. And then after that, we were going to start guitars, whatever. And so after the day where we kind of pieced this like song together, like I said, it, we, it was cool because it was a great experience. I loved like the fact just watching Kurt pick up a guitar and play a riff I wrote and then kind of like alter it and change it or like totally. add a riff to it. It was yeah. so freaking cool. Um, and then that night we remember, we just thought of covering Nirvana and we kind of wanted to. And so we called Kurt and it was just like, it was it was always like who's gonna do it? Who's gonna do it? I don't want to do it. It was like your dad, you don't want to make your dad mad. Like, who's gonna do it? Who's gonna do it? So it's like, uh, Kurt, can we like come in on the day off and like record drums for Nirvana? And we only needed the drums because yeah, you know we would lead. do the guitars yeah. later. And so he was nice enough, he let us go in on the day off and legs like one taked Tourette's. And so Tourette's by Nirvana ended up being on the the from parts unknown B side seven inch called Salem. Right. And it was just, and that was like, like we were kind of like, like pulling Kurt's teeth and legs teeth at the same time. Like, okay, all you have to do is open up the studio on your day off. And all you have to do is go in and just like nail it in one try. It'll be fine. And <laughs> it, it was one of those things where you look back and you're like, Oh, absolutely. Thank, thank God we did that. But at the time it was just like a lot of eye rolling, a lot of like, are you, are you really? Really? Yes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so then we did, you know, then we punched out the rest of the album and had a great time. Uh, his dogs were great. I, I learned so much from him. I, I, I love him. He's such a great, great guy. I, I respect his uh, straightforwardness that you really need when you're recording. You know, you really need someone that's not going to be like, eh, well, you need someone that's going to be like, no. That stinks. <laughs> right. And he was like, and he was the first guy that was, uh, I always say of all the people we record with, Kurt's got the worst bedside manner. Cause he'd be the guy that's just like, and let me look at your chart and okay, you're dying. And, uh, all right. See you tomorrow. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, he would, he was very blunt and I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it because it's a waste of time. Otherwise. Yeah, he's got a very. Uh, I've never recorded with him, but I've, I've I've known the guy pretty well at this point. But yeah, he's got a very incredible, like blunt and um, honest, but very dark and great sense of humor at the same time, to where you can kind of laugh that stuff off. Yeah, and it's it's at first you think it's ego because you're like, oh well, he just thinks he's great because he's in the greatest band ever. But then when you spend a month with him, you realize like, no, he's just he just knows how to accomplish goals and he sets totally. them and and he's he's not. He's not worried about your feelings, I guess. Absolutely. Is the best way to put it. Uh, something I wanted to touch on before before we actually wrapped up was um We're never wrapping up, Jer. We're never wrapping up. <laughs> You're in Arizona. You need friends. You need to just hang out. I understand. <laughs> I dude, if I get off this podcast, that means I'm gonna have to go outside and melt. It is officially <laughs> 110 degrees. <laughs> what I wanted to ask you was um something that I think I've always appreciated about the band that you've you've uh you, that you guys have always done was is, um was that like you there was a, i feel like a rite of passage for a lot of younger bands was getting to tour with every time i die it was like this it was like this like 
you guys always had your ear to the ground where there'd be a band that was maybe starting to come up and then you guys would take them on tour. And that was something that I think a lot of us always appreciated. I don't know if you've been told that over the years or if that's been something that you've recognized. Um, but I, and I don't even know if there's much of a question in here, but I, I just kind of wonder what you think of that and like how you approached uh, picking bands for tours and um, if that's something you even realized. No, I, I, um, yeah, that is a great point, and it's it's an honor to have that uh, notch on your belt, and it's it's definitely intentional. We we pick bands. We don't want we want we want people to have a good time when they came to see us. Um, you know, to go back to the Ozfest competition mentality, you know, that kind of bled past Ozfest, and it kind of you know you'd see it on Warp tours, and you'd see it um, here and there, but it, I I just we just refused to take part in it. It was more of a, it was more of a, we've been treated bad by bands in the past and we don't want any band saying that about us. We don't want any band being like, Oh yeah, they didn't leave us any room on stage. They never talked to us. So you know, we'd always hang out. We would always pick the bands. We would always, you know, support the bands. I, I've I've staged dove in my life many times to to it's also like you're cultivating your own life you're manifesting your own life so it could you could it could even be looked at selfishly like oh I like turnstile so I want to bring turnstile on tour so that I could watch turnstile every night you know I like knock loose so we're going to do 70 shows this year and five different tours of knock loose. Cause I want to watch them every night. There's that selfishness. And we put that into the festival, the Christmas festival that we were doing. We, we made it a great experience for, for bands. Uh, we used to have like, uh, do you ever do those IVs like hydration IVs for I've like, I've never done we, one, but I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. We had those like, like catering style for the bands. And so, one year I remember I was getting like, I was getting all my vitamins like in between like the get up kids and like, you know, uh, fucking ghost face. I don't even remember like who was on that year. You know what I mean? So it was, it's, it's cool. It's just about saying we've been there. We've been, uh, we've been the band that, Oh, sorry. Uh, this band needs three dressing rooms, so you guys have to hang out in your van today. It's just about. It's not even about trying to. It's about being good people. Just treating people. You want their experience to go well. You want their energy to be good. If their energy is good, the crowd's good. And if you, you know you 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 share that, and um, th- there's just no reason not to. You know why why not put everything into. Uh, what you have and selecting bands to tour with is, is just another one of those things. Um, obviously, you know, you, you're not going to overpay uh, a band just cause like one guy in the band likes it. So, you know, there's, there's some push and pull and this band, uh, you know, maybe they can't do it. it. It it really is something we put a lot of work into. So I guess my point is that, uh, thank you for, yeah, I'm acknowledging that you've acknowledged it and I, uh, I appreciate it. It's, it's, it's something I'm proud to look back and say that we were able to do. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great because like your, your band is, you know, it was like in the position to where you could have obviously just like taken out bands that were of a certain size and you knew the tour would have done well regardless because of, uh, every time I die is popularity plus maybe the band mm-hmm. that band's popularity, but no, it's like most tours 
it would be like three or four bands and it would be all the bands that are like coming up um that you know like that was their first time getting to play in front of those bigger audiences and i don't know like i was saying from an outside perspective um i've always taken that as an influence i think i, I think that's something that our band has tried to do going forward you know like it's right just something and, and you know how it is man when you, when you're on tour with a band that like no you don't really know nobody's hanging out you're not really into them like then you know you get you get whiffs of them being unhappy about this but they're not going to tell you because you're not friends it just makes life so much easier when you can when you know everybody's name on a tour yeah absolutely absolutely because we've been there man i've been on the i'm not going to name names but there was you know we've been with the big metal bands that uh where, where you have to play with the bass drum touching the monitor and so like it would be like me and keith on one side of the of the drummer and steve and andy on the other side of the drummer at like no room um you know you're you spend five weeks with them you've they've never even like looked you in the eyes you know nobody wants that yeah yeah no those, those and, in any job awkward. on any team in any business in any band nobody wants that absolutely not um and I mean, you know, uh, I'll, I guess, you know, we could put it, we could put it out here, but when every time I die was kind enough to, to let us come to Australia with you, um, that was like such an exciting thing. A, for getting to obviously get to go to Australia. That's always an exciting thing, but knowing we we're doing it with every time I die for us felt like a, wow, you know, like for us, and it's live, of, right? No, it was just the two of us. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. That was awesome. That yeah. was awesome. Um, yeah. And we, we were, you guys were always in the mix. Like it it got to the point where like our management and our agents didn't even like need to ask us. It's like, so who do you want again? And and we just, here's the list. We always give you the Bronx, (laughs) Touche, Turnstile, you know, it it was just like, you want me to just go back to the list again? Yep. Go back to the list. Yeah. Um, So, so I, I'm actually bummed that it was only one time in Australia. I know we, we, you know, here and there at festivals and stuff. But uh, at least we got that one time in Australia. Oh my yeah, God. of all places, like, it's one of those things where it's can't like, wait yeah, to go back. We could have done we could have done uh, the the U.S. together, and of course that would have been awesome. But I think it's even more special that it was just a, a quick jaunt that far away from mm-hmm. home. You know, mm-hmm. a quick in and out. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I have, know you, I have you guys. Uh, are you guys going back anytime soon? Is there is there touring in Australia yet? I think there is, but there is. We don't have any plans yet. It's one of those uh, mm-hmm. for twenty. 23 i have like my laundry list of like okay can we please go to back to australia can we please go back to japan can we please you know like by the by next by next year can we please do those things because mm-hmm. it's been so long uh jordan i know you're not gonna like this but i'm gonna ask you the last question oh fine <laughs> jordan when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you've been working so hard towards um let's see here let's see here let's see here um, the first time I think I had, um, okay. My, I'm, I'm trying not to tell, I have a bad habit of, of telling stories memento style where I'll start and I'll be like, okay, wait, let me, hold on. I got to go back. Oh, wait, hold on. I got to go back. Oh, wait, hold on. I got to go back. Uh, the first year, uh, tw- 2012 was the first year I was on warp tour and also like had a tent selling the t-shirts I was making. Um, uh, I, 
I wasn't allowed on our bus that uh, summer. I was told I had to travel separately. So that, well, that's a story for another podcast. Uh, and so I was like, well, I'm going to need something to do. So I got a tent and sold t-shirts all day. And so that was the first time to kind of reference my um, my guidance counselor who was like, oh, you can't do both. Like you can, or you, you might not even want to do one. Um, I, that was the first year I felt like, Dude, I would wait. I'm a, I just love working hard. So I, I would wake up, set up my own merch tent, have fun, hang out with kids all day. Whenever I had, I would put a little be back in a, in 45 minutes, sign up. Whenever I had to go play a fucking ripping set, it was amazing. I would literally get crowd surfed back to my merch table right after. I just felt like I, I, I'm always, to again to to call back what we were talking about earlier uh in the episode where artists kind of are always looking for like okay what's the next what's the next what's the next yeah. those warp tours were the my my only not only but one of the best chances for me to actually sit and enjoy my the success i had made for myself i i had i I didn't have to draw anything because I had just spent six months making all these t-shirts and now I could enjoy hanging out, selling them. I didn't have to worry about writing because we were on tour. I didn't have to worry about anything. I, I could just lit- – I, I always loved warp Tours. I don't know if you guys ever ever did one. No. But, you know, pe- pe- they get a bad rep from people who are just like, you know, by the end of tour, you're just like, get me the fuck out of here. But I always loved them. I was always sad when they were over. Like, I'm the kid that, like – would was like sad on the last day of school and so i would always i i loved warp tours i loved hanging in those tents and 2012 was the first time i got to i know you were probably looking for a more musical answer no, but that was the first time great. that's great yeah uh it, it it i felt like i had succeeded in music and in art and i could just enjoy myself and have a great time and and not feel um like uh you know like there was more work to do like you know like on a, when we were on a normal tour there's always breaking down there's always driving there's always and so we, we've never really been a bus band so there's never really like you have to be, you have to make sure everything is in its proper place before you can kind of cut loose whereas on warp tour it was just like just all summer you're just like i'm waiting for something to go wrong and nothing's going wrong this is great i'm making money i'm getting my art out there the shows are amazing uh, i'm just having a great time and so um from a from the perspective of someone who in seventh grade said i'm gonna be an artist and a musician that was definitely like the first time i i i i sat back and said wait did i did i did i make it did I make it? Am I living my dream right now? As much as I hate the term living the dream, I felt like I was living mine. So yeah, I would say 2012 Warped Tour. Jordan, you just you just got pitched the ball and you <laughs> took a hard swing and you just knocked that answer out of the park. I know you were you were un- awesome. unsure of how you were going to answer it before we started this conversation. Yeah. So you just nailed it. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jordan, for hanging out. No, no problem at all. And um if you're listening, go to jordanbuckley.xyz, and that's where you can see all my art and cameos. Uh, uh, me and uh, I, I write riffs for people, bad ones. Um, and so we're going back to uh, practice for the new band, write for the new band. And so I think I'm going to make Goose 
do my shit riff cameos with me because I want to have, I want to, I want to expand the shit riff uh, empire to include live drums. So uh, look for that soon. I think around June. Um, yeah, man, I've just got to, I just got to kind of piece together some shit until I can get back out on tour. So I, I really appreciate you having me on here and letting me promote my, my art and my cameos and dude, stay at our Airbnb. We got an Airbnb. There's a link in the, at the website. It's I got NFTs, dude, just help me get back on tour. I just want to get back on tour. I'm a starving artist by my shit riffs so that hopefully by the end of this year, I want to be on tour by the end of the year. That's my goal. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right, dude. Take care of yourself. Okay. Bye, Jeremy. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Jordan for coming on. And thank you for listening. Don't forget, there's a bonus episode available right now. If you go over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where Jordan answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. And don't forget to hit up jordanbuckley.xyz to find out more about his art, his prints, etc. All right. Take care. I will. uh, I'll see you next week. I'm going to be in Europe, but uh, that's not going to stop the show. God damn it. I'll be back with a new episode. Bye-bye.